five, six, seven, eight. Talking, talking fast. fast. Talking fast as fast as we as can. We can. Yeah, we're gonna try. Let's yeah. see how we do. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Come to Read. I'm your host, Haley. Um, and today I have a special guest. <gasps> me? It's you. It's me. <laughs> Usually on Gilmore to Read, I have an author, but I do have someone who I would consider a writer. Yeah. It is not the writer of the book that we're going to talk about. It's not, but it's a close second. It's a close second because today we're talking about Talking As Fast As I Can by Lauren Graham. And so I brought Tara yeah. to fill in for Lauren Graham. Who, I'm so um, happy to be here. <laughs> are you going to answer all the questions that we would have for Lauren Graham? I don't think so. But you know what's funny is as I was reading this book, I realized how much I have in common with some of the advice Lauren gave, some of the quotes she has, some of the insights she shares, and some of the people she's worked with. So that was really exciting to kind of rediscover. You yeah, know? there was something I circled that she said, and I literally was like, that's Tara. And oh, my I God. I hope that I wrote it down here to share because I remember doing that, but I don't remember what it was. That's okay. <laughs> or where it was. I have to admit, I read like the first maybe – 30, 40 pages on the plane when I was going down to Virginia a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. But I saved this to read in the days leading up to us recording because I just felt like if it wasn't fresh in my mind, there was so much that I was yeah. going to miss. So I kid you not, I read basically the entire book starting at like 10 o'clock last night. Tara, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. See, I did the same thing. So I read it with the book club on audiobook, but I wasn't like keeping notes for this episode. Of course. Um, so I just went through my book yesterday and just with all my little notes. Did you put notes in the margins? I actually didn't, but it was because I got this book when we went to Hickory Stick Bookshop Mm -hmm. in Washington Depot Mm -hmm. because it felt like so appropriate to buy Lauren Graham's book in Fake Stars Hollow. I mean, rather, Real Stars Stars Hollow. Hollow. Yeah. And there was something about it. And so it felt very sentimental. So I didn't write in the margin. That's actually not true. I don't know why I just told the story because I 100% wrote in the margins. <laughs> I was like, okay. at, f- at first when I was reading it, I didn't. Yeah. But then I totally did. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, I actually was trying my best not to do it. I was writing notes in my notebook, which I still have here. But then at some point I went, why are you not just writing in the margins? It was hard. Well, I was writing like in my notes app because it was going to be a lot easier to talk to you with some notes. Well, sure. But yeah, I, I did. I don't know why. I, I told that story because I was like originally going to keep it very pristine. Mm. Um, but yeah, I wrote all over it. No, I <laughs> ended up highlighting, writing, yeah. dog There's earring. There's so many things I underlined in this oh my that God. I just absolutely loved. Some yeah. lines she said. There was also some things I underlined that I did not like. Really? Admittedly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm intrigued because to get into that. Something that someone in our Fable book club said is that they had to get used to the quote-unquote 2016 language. Interesting. And when I when I read that at first, I was like um, a little confused by it. But listening to the audiobook, I will say, is a different experience than reading it. Because what I love so much about actually reading the book is you feel Lauren Graham's voice so clearly, which is like so similar to Lorelai's voice. Oh, yeah. And it's just there. But when you're listening to it, it feels like a performance that you don't quite – um, like, uh, 
what is the word I'm looking for that you don't quite like not like criticize is the wrong word, but like interrogate almost because mm. um, you're just like listening to her say it. And like the way that she delivers it is like so Lauren Graham or like I'm more that it just feels really right. Yeah. But like going back through it, I'm like, yeah, there are some things in here that I'm like, this is really 2016. It's kind of like a little bit of like a time capsule yeah 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 I think that when you're listening to an audiobook which is the reason I didn't do it because I felt Lauren's voice in here from top to tail yeah of course but I don't have enough like bandwidth to really dissect it like you're absorbing it but not in the same way I'm such a visual person that Mm -hmm. like I needed to really read things there were some things that I read over and over and over again and then like highlighted and wrote notes on and like underlined and was like, yes. Yeah. And I think that to a certain extent, things can stick with you when you listen to it, you know, audio wise. Clearly, you guys listen to us in an audio medium <laughs> every single week. True. But do. if our words were being written down on paper, they just carry a little bit more weight. They they come across so differently. Yeah. And that was what I like realized because like I, like you, read the book yesterday um, after having listened to the audio and some things just landed so differently reading them yeah. versus hearing her say them. Yeah. Because um, it was a performance and like it was listening to the audiobook. like if you have not yet, it's just so comfy cozy. Oh, like, I'm Just sure. like throw it on and like while you're doing chores and stuff, which is what I did. Um, and yeah. And just ha- have a mom read in the background and usually I listen to audiobooks between like 1.7 and 2 times speed but yeah. this one I listened at regular um does she like talk full... really fast does she talk through this book as fast as she can um I would say like she talks like her normal talking speed which I think is faster than others yeah um, she mentions that in the book yeah, yeah yeah but um yeah it was just something about it I was like oh this is nice this is this is mom <laughs> Yeah, totally. Totally. There were so many parts of this book that I connected with. And I think that the best way for us to go through this is to kind of go chronologically. She does bounce around a little bit in the sense that like, what I love about this book is she kind of doles it out slowly in the same way that the show is formatted. So like she gives us background on herself, where Mm -hmm. she grew up, how she grew up. And then she moves into kind of the early stages of her career. Then she talks about Gilmore Girls and about how excited she is to revisit. But then she gives you more insight to like her dating life and dieting and like, you know, that kind of culture in Hollywood that she felt like she had to kind of achieve this ideal standard of what show business presents, especially to women. And then she also talks about like some of her connections and other capacities. And then she gets back into the Gilmore of it all. And I kind of love that, that this was a book about her life. But of course, because especially because of when it came out, we all wanted to hear about the Gilmore Girls part. Yeah. Can I tell you that a lot of people in like Fable and other like we put up a question box on our Instagram story said that they wish that there was more Gilmore Girls. And I feel like on both sides of that. Yes and no. And the no is because I feel like we received a book from Lauren that was like about her life and Gilmore Girls is not the only part of her life that is important to her mm-hmm. or that like is memorable. But the only reason I would say that I agree is because I think the subtitle of the book is misleading because it's from Gilmore Girls to Gilmore Girls and everything in between mm-hmm. that immediately it feels like we're going to start with Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. all of the stuff in between and then end with the revival. Um, and that's like not the what happened. It's not what happens. And it's like, I think that that disconnect like is a little bit misleading into what the book is going to be about, but it doesn't make the book disappointing. It just makes me kind of wish that like, oh, that could have been the format of the book, mm-hmm. which would have been cool. 
but it also was not the format of the book, which I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. And I will say that as someone, and I, I wonder how you feel about this, as someone who is a performer, an actor, has gone through this like monotonous audition process that she kind of discusses about feeling really defeated and having to pick herself back up. There was also something to that that I'm so excited she expanded upon because that part was also very important to me. But I wonder if that is because I also can commiserate and empathize, you know? Well, I think that like uh, maybe that's what it is because someone asked if this was like a good book for non-Gilmore people to read. Yes, I saw that. And I think it's a great book. Like if you are interested in writing and acting and like being creative in any way and like feeling rejected and wanting to bounce back from it. Yeah. And just like a like a very surface level dive into Hollywood. Like, I think it's a very interesting book to read. I completely agree. But also if you love Gilmore Girls. So I think it's like really, it's structured so that it can really go either way. I feel like that's spoken to like very early on in the book, you know, kind of the wise words that she offers from the perspective of someone who's about to embark on this journey of becoming an actor and kind of speaking to the reality that a lot of us face as teenagers regardless of what we're pursuing, but especially when we're in show business, that when we're young, we are a big fish in a small pond sometimes, or a medium-sized fish in a regular-sized pond. (laughs) But when we get onto the real world, we don't understand sometimes why things aren't happening quickly for us or why they're not happening according to the formula that was laid out for us when we were growing up, right? And so I read this on the plane when I was going to Virginia and it resonated with me so deeply and I feel like it will also resonate with you and probably did. She says, I still find that in general, having a plan is, well, a good plan. But when my carefully laid plan laughed at me, rather than clutch too tightly at it, I made a new one. Even if it was one that didn't immediately make sense, in blindly trying a different path, I accidentally found one that worked better. So don't let your plan have the last laugh, but laugh last when your plan laughs. And when your plan has the last laugh, laugh back laughing. I <laughs> love that because you and I have talked so much yeah. off pod and on about how like when we moved to New York, we had very different trajectories for what we wanted our lives to look like. And we did not know that, like, you know, in the year 2024, we'd be sitting here having a podcast talking about Gilmore Girls and that that would be our job. I know. You know? So, like, when the plan doesn't work out, it's okay. And I have had a lot of shame around that, especially as an actor. You know, coming here – I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary of living in New York, January 14th. And I think that 10 years ago, I had a very different idea of what success looked like. Yeah. So deviating away from the plan meant – failure. Yeah. And I love that she curbs that fear by saying, it's okay if the plan doesn't work out. When the plan doesn't work, build a new plan. Yeah. You know? Or let a plan guide itself towards you, which is kind of what the podcast feels like. I love that because it feels so Gilmore Girls. Mm. It's like the idea of if this is not the plan that's working, like that's so Lorelai Gilmore. It's like, Mm. this is the plan that's not working. Totally. I'm going to start a new plan. Like our in burnt down, it's time to... Crack open the champagne and celebrate the obstacle. Yeah, exactly. It also feels like because like I think because of what we do, I think we talked about this a little bit in our wrapped episode. It's one thing to like have a plan and shift it. But like the perception too of changing your plan can sometimes be where like the shame exists of like other people expecting you to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that a lot of this, a lot of what she talks about is not like other people's perception of it, but like what you need to do for yourself. She's very, very good, or seemingly has become very good 
at releasing other people's expectations of her. Yeah. And remaining out of touch. Like her relationship with modern technology to me is so fascinating and kind of aspirational. I <laughs> I I genuinely strive to be the kind of person that can detach that easily. And that's that's not an insult. It's that no, like it's in the old lady Jackson chapter when she yes. puts her purse in the trunk with her phone in it. And I was like, first of all, my anxiety is way too high. Oh when my I get God. into a car accident, I don't want to be crawling to my trunk. <laughs> no, fully. There's something that we as a generation have developed like a an attachment to our phones and like it's almost like a security blanket. It's like our little blankie. Yeah. And <laughs> releasing that is very challenging. When she mm -hmm. uh, talks about the kitchen timer and that form of writing. Yeah. That's actually how I wrote my book. I was going to ask you when we got to that if that's how you wrote your book. Because yeah, I think is. like even when we record here, as we're recording now, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb. And I know you're very good at this about kind of my like – My phone's always on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> yeah. I have such a difficult time doing that. And I don't know if it's FOMO. I don't know if it's like – it's not even fear of missing out. It's fear of missing something important. It's mm -hmm. fear of someone trying to connect with me. And then like all of a sudden I look at my phone and I have five missed calls, seven missed text messages, and there's been an emergency just in the moment that I've turned my phone on Do Not Disturb. And I think there's something so admirable about practicing release that way. Yeah. I think it's more so that like I don't have anything in my life that is like immediate like that, that like – has a sense of urgency that like if a couple hours have passed like but yeah that's okay <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know you're I mean? also with your family quite a bit and yeah. so like if something genuinely earth-shattering happened you're with the right people yeah also like if you message me it's like we're not doing rocket science no like it's not like we're launching and rocket into space or you no. know saving anyone's life so like it's very rare that i need an immediate response from you yeah sometimes it's timely but i think you've also gotten better at that like yeah you see i texted you it's usually <laughs> like okay i should probably tara's, respond. The, tara's like one of the only people who like can like supersede my do not disturb <laughs> <laughs> everyone is else is locked <laughs> i wear that honor proudly but that was something that was actually interesting because like i felt very mixed we said we were going in order, but like the old lady Jackson chapter is like I felt equal part like, as you said, aspirational, because like, as we know, my um, dream is to be a witch in the woods mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like release myself from technology entirely. Um, but like it also was like so like old lady 2016 mm -hmm. of like the approach to it, because I feel like there's like a middle ground for technology and socials now that isn't just like completely detaching it from you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, my nephew lives in Florida and we FaceTime him every day. And, like, so, like, it's kind of weird that, like, a lot of our relationship happens via a screen. Yeah. Same with us. Same. Um, So it's, like, there's a guy. I think there's a middle ground to old lady Jackson now. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think it has to be so extreme. And I think she says that. She speaks yeah. to that. It's also about when she grew up. And, yeah. oh, you know, sure. kind of kicking it back to the beginning where we start her book you know, she really lays the foundation for what shaped her and who she is. And when she grew up in a time that was like, when was she born? Late 60s. So like, yeah, I she grew up in the 70s. And, yeah. So she grew up in the 70s and 80s when like that stuff was really uh, very much in the early stages of development. And so I think when you grow up with that not at your fingertips, you're used to being able to release it. And yeah. again, I just find it so aspirational. But Going back to the beginning of this, 
I really love how de- how in detail she goes um, about her life without getting like too mired in it being autobiographical. Like she tells you the yeah. important stuff. She talks about her relationship with her family, where she grew up, where she lived. She bopped around a lot. And yeah. then all of this kind of led to this culmination of her becoming an actor. She ends up moving to New York. She thinks that like things are going to go her way and she's going to, you know, take the standard path of going to college, moving to New York. She was super smart. So she skipped a grade. She called it like her extra year. Yeah. She skipped kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. And she wanted to like cash in that token at some point. So she felt that it was fine that it took her maybe a little extra time to find quote unquote success. Yeah. But she ended up, she got into a program that ultimately led her to getting her master's and kind of really honing in on what she wanted to do and eventually being a part of a company, which I know a lot of my friends have taken this path, that will garner her her equity card, which is kind of important when you're starting out. Or it seems very important. Yeah, that's the thing is it feels like I feel like for any like aspiring actor it feels like the almost like the end game of like once I get this everything's gonna be everything will be fine and I felt the same way for such a long time um getting my equity card was like the goal Lauren talks about how the actors equity association which is the union for stage actors is the dream when you first start out as an actor and I think people who are aspiring to be on Broadway especially Broadway Broadway as she calls it multiple (laughs) times which was my dream as well when I moved to New York, getting your equity card feels so imperative because it gets you in the room a little faster. And that keeps you protected. It it gives you health care. And it basically requires productions to follow a set of rules to keep you safe and in healthy working conditions while you're performing. So And a financial expectation too. And a certain level of compensation, yes. So as like an actor, when like life feels like it's like constantly up in the air, like Mm -hmm. that feels like an end goal of like health insurance, like uh, guaranteed wages, like it feels like everything. Yes. As we know, it's not. It's no, but like this kind of goes hand in hand with what the writers were fighting for, what SAG was fighting for this last year, which put everything at a standstill because SAG is the film equivalent to what actors equity is. SAG is much, much larger and in my opinion, much more powerful. But Lauren describes her experience of going through the process that a lot of people go through in order to get their equity card, one of which was an audition that she had to do for an equity role in one of the productions, which only included her walking into the room and showing the director her bare ass and then walking out. I hope that's really rare. Yeah. And I found it really fascinating where that led her because she said it was done very tastefully. Like the director was there, but his wife was sitting next to him to like make these women feel really comfortable. And she said like no one was sketchy about it. Everyone was very dignified. But after I walked out of that audition, I like went into like a private area and I burst into tears. And... I understand. I probably would have felt the same way. I would feel the exact same way. But something that she said here that really resonated with me, she said, I wanted my equity card so desperately. I hadn't stopped to ask myself what I was comfortable doing in order to get it. In art, the painter presents his canvas. In acting, the canvas is you. In acting, you have to have an objectivity that enables you to, at times, turn yourself over to someone else and let them do the painting. But this was my first experience paying more attention to the canvas part 
than to the me part. And I realized that both sides needed to line up. I had that epiphany, not because I had to show somebody my bare ass, but also because I just grew so, thank (laughs) God, nobody would have hired me for this ass. But I... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they would. Okay. And we're back. (laughs) And we're back. Cut that part, Lauren. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Do not. But I think that I had a very similar epiphany that I've said this before. I said it in my Tara Out of Water episode. I decided that the plan was going to change when I realized that auditioning, which is part of the process of being an actor, was no longer the job that I wanted to have. I was very tired of trying to convince people that I was the right piece for their puzzle. I wanted to build the puzzle. And what I love Mm. here is that it's like, she's not even saying I need to be the painter as well, but I need to have more control over that than just this, than feeling like I'm sinking to whatever it takes to get my equity card, which is what so many actors go through. Yeah. I commend her for really understanding how to pull yourself out of it and to look at the bigger picture and go, what am I doing? What am I willing to do to get this? And where's the line? Yeah. And I think that overall, like as this book came out, I think I read it in 2017 because it came out in 2016. And this was like the height of when I was working um, in theater in New York. And I had no idea that Lauren Graham had this past. Like I assumed that she was like a screen actor. I had heard about roles that she had done, you know, within Gilmore Girls, after Mm -hmm. Gilmore Girls, but I didn't know that she had this, like, history with the stage, that she trained as a stage actor, that Mm -hmm. that was, like, her foundation. Um, And I think that finding that out at that time, this was one of those books that, like, reading it at that time was really, really emotional because, of course, we'd just seen, like, the end of Gilmore Girls, supposedly, as we get into this book, we Mm -hmm. will talk about. Um, But then, like, having that, like, reflected in, like, the life that I was living and her explaining her beginnings and like her foundation and that like so much of what she was talking about were things that like I dealt with daily Mm. that it was just so like uh like exciting to witness this side of her that I didn't even know existed I know and it's funny I I knew it existed I guess because she did Guys and Dolls in 2009 yeah but like that that's like when Emma Stone did um I was gonna say there are so many screen actors out there who will come in and and do Broadway roles. Yeah. But I agree with you. I didn't really know that that was kind of the goal, that being on Broadway was her dream. And then she ended up in this world of being a screen actor, which I personally have never seen her perform on stage. But I want to so badly. Me too. And I can't believe that like in 2009, I didn't go see Guys and Dolls. It's one of my favorite musicals. And having such access to the city, I'm I'm shocked I didn't do that. Someone needs to put her up in a play. Yeah. (laughs) But I wish that I wish that I had because I I don't want to say this out of turn, but I feel like the screen is such a good place for her. Like, I'm glad that it led her to the screen. She's so good at what she does. Yeah, I know. Anyway. We do love her work, if you didn't notice. (laughs) I do. It's true. But before we move on, there was – she's talking about um, one of her experiences uh, at the barn – which is an equity theater, doing summer stock in Augusta, Michigan, and how one of the reviews, she dies at the end of Act 1. And the review basically (laughs) said, like, she dies at the end of Act 1, but we wish she had died sooner. (laughs) And the director said to her, your reviews can only get better from here. But I'd never know because I haven't read a review of myself since that day. I've also never Googled myself. What good can come of it? What more details would I possibly need? I wish she had died sooner. (laughs) And I just feel like 
that is so applicable to today, especially with the digital age of social media and people's opinions of us being so accessible. I just found it so interesting because a lot of actors don't read their own reviews. And I don't want to either. (laughs) (laughs) It's harder to say read reviews now, especially because I think that it even comes down to like creators who like read their comments, YouTube comments, Instagram comments, TikTok comments of like, it's hard to avoid because they're right there. Like you're slide into your DMs and say something mean. And I think that was the main part of what we were talking about is like, we both have very small corners of the internet where everyone is pretty nice for the most part. Yeah. And um, expanding that sounds scary. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard. It's, it's very scary. And so that's what I was kind of talking about earlier in the episode where I feel like Lauren has detached herself from that. And I admire that. And I strive to be that way. And maybe not detached herself, but never attached herself to it. Yes. It's just like it never, like she never really joined social media. She joins Twitter later on for her book. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't do Instagram. She doesn't do the internet, it sounds like. Yeah. And that's commendable. It really is. I kind of dream of a world where yeah. I can do that one day, maybe. Well, people are streaming this via the internet. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so maybe not. Maybe not. But then she goes into a chapter that is titled, You Can't Be Vegan Just for Ellen. It's all yeah. about kind of poking fun at the diet culture of Hollywood. Yeah. She talks about giving a how-to on, you know, yeah. being skinny in Hollywood and all the ins and outs of all the fad diets that have come and gone over the years. This was one of the ones that felt really great in the audiobook, but less so in reading it. And I don't mean that I didn't enjoy it, but it was one of those ones that I was like, oh, this feels really 2016 because she even references President Hillary Clinton. Like She does. She was writing, I'm writing in this March. in March. So I'm just guessing. And I was like, oof. Yeah, and it was just like, like we said earlier, it felt very like March 2016 time capsule, yeah. like the shift that was about to happen in like, like, I feel like societal, like social shift, like there's so many totally. things that happened that year that like shifted the way that people talk about things and like yeah. what's important. And I feel like this was one of those chapters that like felt like really 2016 and not necessarily in like a bad way, mm-hmm. but it was just like, I don't think that people talk like this no not really yeah not really um i will say i kind of skimmed through this chapter not to say i really wanted to get to the gilmore girls of it all i did (laughs) but for me i was just kind of like you know for the purposes of covering this for our listeners it's like go read the chapter if you want to yeah it's not gonna gonna make or break you later on page 52 we can talk about this um because she does go into detail about this she's talking about ellen degeneres which is the ellen she's referencing in the uh title of her Chapter. Is there another Ellen? (laughs) That's Ellen. That's Ellen. You don't need to last name her. It's like Cher. She says, because of her, Ellen, I got to turn my novel (laughs) Someday, Someday, Maybe into a pilot script for the CW. And I co-wrote another half hour pilot for her company as well. Which I was like, huh, I did not know that. That was brand new information to me. Yeah. Did you read Someday, Someday, Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no, I haven't word. read it. But I, I want to. I literally have I, it on my shelf. I haven't read I it. I want to do it for um, the book club this year. Well, I, I will read fun. that with you. I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh, fun. Yay. I, I would love to read that with you because she does go on to talk about this later. It's on page 128 where she talks about writing Someday, Someday, Maybe while she was right. filming Parenthood because Parenthood's filming schedule was so much easier 
than I know. that of Gilmore Girls. The um, whole parenthood left- chapter feels like it could be like TLDR. This was great and amazing yeah. and I had yeah. tons of free time. <laughs> That's kind of what she was saying. She's like, yeah. I'm just going to gush about this show for a little bit. Feel free to read or um, just don't. skip over. Yeah. <laughs> but she says, well, uh, she says that, you know, between you know, while she was in her trailer, she just suddenly found herself having free time for the first time in years. I was like, couldn't have it on Gilmore Girls. Yeah. I think as creatives, as artists, actors, etc., you're used to the grind. You are constantly moving and constantly thinking of what's next. And so I loved that she took that time to be like, okay, I'm going to write something. I'm just going to write it. She says, well, I didn't know While I didn't want to write about myself exactly, I wondered if maybe a story of dreaming big, growing up, and forging a career was sort of universal. It was a thrilling novelty to have something I could work on just by myself. And I just find that to be so beautiful that she hadn't done this yet and was just like, I'm going to do this. And I identified that with that a lot. The reasons were different. I wanted to write something that I could be a part of, going back to the whole puzzle analogy. I wanted to write something that I could be a part of and I could you know, put on screen, whereas she just did this for herself. And I think that that was really cool. Yeah, I loved that chapter. That was one of my favorite ones, because something that she was talking about, not to like flip forward, but um, was that like she described the way that she wrote and uh, that in writing and wanting to get it published, mm. she um, created, I think exactly what she said was a new way to set yourself up for dr- for rejection Mm. and I really like after having like read the rest of it it's like she like that was something that was so big in like the early days of her career and the reason that this book came about in the free time was like that she felt like she had made it Mm -hmm. that like she didn't have to worry about like the hustle and the grind it's just like I did she it. could have she could have free time because like she was making it as an actor and she had been at this point for years and years totally but it was like something about the free time aspect of it that like really resonated with that for her yeah. and so to put herself back in a situation where she was like finally where she like at the peak of what she was doing and she was like okay let me set myself up for rejection yet again (laughs) yeah she chose to put herself there i actually highlighted that line where she says suddenly my solo trailer project had become a new way in which i'd potentially set myself up for more rejection and i thought of you when i read that because we've had this conversation yeah uh kind of going hand in hand with the idea of putting yourself out there publicly on the internet to open yourself up potentially to criticism um we talked about that when it comes to writing, that we're yeah. leaving ourselves susceptible for somebody, especially when you handed over your book to an editor. <laughs> yeah. You were like, I'm literally putting this thing that I put my like last X amount of years into, into yeah. the hands of someone to basically tell me, potentially, that is awful. Yeah. What do or I do like- then? And like those, the other thing was like I was not looking for her to praise it. I was looking for feedback. And of so course. like that was, that was scary. And I think that – The difference I feel like with someone like Lauren and like she talks about this is like finding the right editor and agent Mm -hmm. um, was that with her agent, it was not someone who was like a yes man. She was like, I could take it to these people because you're famous and Mm -hmm. like it's going to be fine. She's like, or I could take it to these other people Mm -hmm. and they're going to make it good. Mm -hmm. And I think that like finding that sort of person was who she needed because like she totally could have been in the camp of like, oh, you're famous and you're great and you're Lorelai Gilmore. You'll have a great audience, especially a young adult book um but that was not what happened and she wanted to like you know really invest in it which i think is um really like 
I'm I'm surprised that anyone would choose the other path of like you're investing this much into it and like trying to um you know try something new that you would just put it out there because like you can and people want it and you well, can I end up people, on the Today Show. I think people like the immediate gratification of their work sometimes. And if they feel like they could just put it into somebody's hands who's like, yep, okay, this is this is good. Just you yeah. know, put it on the conveyor belt, if you will. Yeah. No, I think that if you no. really, really want to make something work and you want it to be quality and you want it to be good, you go through the hoops. You jump through yeah. them, even if it's hard, even if it's a longer process. And, and she knew that, yeah. But what was really interesting about reading about how she wrote is because I remember rereading this back in 2021, I think. I remember being in line at Disney World reading mm-hmm. it on my phone. Um, but I had had – I, like, really struggle with writing um, a book all the way through, like, in a linear way. Mm-hmm. And I remember as I was writing my book – because I don't write linear. I, like, write whatever scene comes to my mind that day yep. and then I puzzle piece them back together. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't remember where I had heard that someone else had done that. And I was like, it kind of gave me permission to do it. And when I reread this in December, I was like, oh, my God. It was Lauren Graham. Yeah. Like back like three years ago, I guess now, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, my God. Of course I can write like this. Like I can write however I want. It's made up. And like revisiting it, I couldn't ever remember where I had read that someone wrote nonlinear. And it was her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how people write that way. And if they do, power to them. But when I was writing the pilot for Under the Influence and even for Minnesota 10, I had ideas of what I wanted specific scenes to be. And as soon as they came to me, it just like came right out of me like word vomit. Yeah. I could not for the life of me move chronologically. It was like no. I'd write one scene and then it would be like, oh, but what's this scene? Okay. How do we get from point A to point B? Yeah, what is I want to write point a- B and yeah. then go backwards, exactly. which is what I do. Exactly. So uh, I love that. I love that you felt like Lauren Graham gave you that permission. She did. And I didn't remember that. Like, I never knew who had – like, I couldn't find anywhere where that had happened. And then I reread it, and it was Mom. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. I don't know what it is, but cowboy boots are magic. Since they've arrived, I've worn my Tecovis boots almost every day. I have the Annie in Midnight. I know you have the Annie in Bone. I do. But they make me feel so powerful because, of course, it is my dream to be a cowgirl. Yes, I know this about you. But I also know (laughs) you've told me that you wear them while you write your book. I do. I wear them all the time because I also wear them when I get dressed up or when I'm sitting at my dress recording the podcast because they make me feel so bold and brave and like I can do anything no matter how I style them. Tecovis has carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality that you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service with boots for men and women handmade from the most premium leathers. And if you dream of being cowgirls like us or you're already Western to your core, Tecovis is the perfect brand to start with because they believe in Western for all. They don't only offer their handmade boots, but all sorts of head-to-toe Western staples. Perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, bandanas, and cowboy hats. You name it and they'll get you out outfitted. 
And if you can't make it into a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. So visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tecovis has said that they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on tecovis.com. Just use the code Gilmore at checkout. That's G-I-L-M-O-R-E. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast. So they're always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code Gilmore at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tecovis. Only at tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. Haley, I feel like most of our followers already know that we don't really drink alcohol, but we do love a fun beverage. Oh, we do. Both of us think a fun beverage and a chill night is the epitome of a good time, especially when that drink is a recess mood, which is a delicious sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol. I drink mine every night while reading, of course. Tara, tell everyone how you enjoy yours. Honestly, I usually drink mine while we're recording the podcast. <laughs> it's my favorite way to enjoy a recess. And all of our besties can get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash GTS. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. But my personal favorite is the grapefruit tangerine. And with only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's the perfect way to chill. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash GTS and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. So the next chapter, if we're moving chronologically, is there is only one Betty White or Paper Towels, a love story, which, you know, we can kind of breeze through this. I love the homage she gives to Betty White and her career and kind of the uh, archetype that she didn't necessarily fall into, which uh, I think a lot of women especially are presented with when they first embark on an acting career. Yeah, because she gives two here. Yeah. Girl About Town and The Mom. The Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I think – Especially in the uh, era that Morin grew up in and was forging her career in, in like the 70s and 80s and then into the 90s, that was probably the two archetypes that most women fell into. Like it makes so much sense. Yeah. It does. But then I feel like there was a major shift in the 90s where there were all different types of women being presented in pop culture and in television. And so I – Love that she aspires to be Betty White. All of us should. <laughs> Rest in peace, Betty. But what I love that she said is when she when she did find out about Lorelai and when she connected with the character, she said that people were asking, don't you worry that you'll get typecast as the mom? Aren't you worried that that will age you? And she said, honestly, I never once thought about it. To me, Lorelai was equal parts gal about town and the mom, plus a magical mix of smarts and humor that made her totally unique. I read somewhere that Christopher Reeve said one of the ways he knew a part was for him was when he couldn't stand the idea of someone else doing it. I know that exact feeling. There's sort of a manic recognition that happens very rarely when I read something I want so much that I go briefly but totally bonkers. That feeling is a combination of, hello, old friend, meets everyone get out of my way. She's mine, all mine. (laughs) There is something that resonates with you so deeply when you read a part. It's happened to me once where I was like, this is my part. I know her. And I am her. And I can't wait to play her. You haven't made that decision yet, but it's totally happening. And then it did. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, my favorite part about it is that she very rarely talks about her mom in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of like, which she mentions at the beginning was that her mom left to be a singer and mm-hmm. she was raised by her dad. But um, when she told her mom about it, um, she said, I have a good feeling about this or I have a feeling about this one. Yes. And I love that she included that there. And what was interesting is I couldn't remember if it was in this book, but it's in her second book of essays, um, Have I Told You This Already, mm-hmm. where she talks about the idea of playing a mom to a daughter having been raised by a father with a mother who um, was not around and like not having an idea of what a mother should be and mm. being a mom. Mm. And I I kept waiting for that part to come up, but not realizing it was in her other book. Um But I always like when she mentioned like that part where like as she's deciding about Gilmore Girls or as she's feeling like Lorelai is the next step in her life that her mom was the one that said I have a feeling about this one. Yeah. There's something that happens when something's meant for you that I think universally the people who are close to you in your life also feel that for you too. Yeah. Everything's a buzz in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not shocking to me that this was the feeling that she got and that this was the feeling that the people around her got because that role was hers. What fascinated me is earlier on the page before she actually – gets the role she talks about how the Gilmore Girl script had been sent to her twice Mm. and the first time it was sent to her she didn't read it she said I didn't want to read something and fall in love with it only to find out that I wasn't available she was working on another show called MYOB and what does that stand for mind your own business I believe oh okay it was potentially going to be picked up for a second season or it was going to be canceled and what fate that that show got canceled. I know. I just find those moments to be so poetic and so inspirational because that is how you know that what is meant for you will not miss you. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things like this book kind of explains is like how much like she wanted to play Lorelai, but how much like this was not something that was going to work out for her scheduling wise because she was already attached to another project that she was in and liked. Yep. Like this was another one where they were like, adamant that this be her like Mm -hmm. amy was like has talked about before that she just kept reaching out and reaching out and reaching out Mm -hmm. and they filmed this and did this while she was still attached to this other project yes they go on to talk about that in the next chapter because she finally gets into the making of the pilot yeah and she said i'd have to be replaced on gilmore girls if myob kept going and i literally highlighted that and wrote no (laughs) (laughs) well that's what happened so that's true that's true you uh your uh margin note really worked out (laughs) it did that's why i wrote it there yeah Yeah. it's it's such a daunting feeling and i know actors especially screen actors go through this all the time when they're contracted to do something else and that something else has to not work out in order for you to do this thing and that's the thing for me is that i'm sitting here like what would have happened If that were me and I was in the show MYOB and I was contracted to do it, I would have been like, what do I have to do to get out of this contract? Because that's my role. That's my role. Isn't there something that happens that there's some sort of like network trade to have her? That's what happened. She said she found out that years later she was actually – she talks about Hollywood being like the Hunger Games. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Genuinely. But she talks about it at some point that, you know, years later she found out that she was actually – like it was – there was kind of a trade that happened – just so fascinating that it's like sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll take this uh, guy. You take these two. Yeah. Which like she ended up on the right team. Thank God. But what was also really shocking to me under the making the pilot segment. Yeah. 
because this chapter is called what it was like part one and yeah. i found that really interesting that mm. that was the way that she phrased it yeah like to go into gilmore girls um because she breaks down like the the format of this chapter is really interesting because mm-hmm. she goes through the making of the pilot each season yeah and then like breaks them down in a certain way um and yeah the making of the pilot was i think like Maybe my favorite part. <laughs> oh, 100%. I loved yeah. it. I loved it so much. What was fascinating to me is that Alexis and Lauren were cast without doing a chemistry read. Can you believe that? No. I can't like, believe that. They also cast Alexis just like she had never done anything on screen before. And they they were just like, yep. <laughs> she's without someone, doing a chemistry read with Lauren. Like, so wild. And not only that, is like, I think that's one of like the kismet moments of Gilmore Girls is that like, they look like mother and daughter. Like, yeah, they blue eyes, brown hair. And like, were they, did they cast like Alexis? And then they were like, we have to have this woman who actually is her mother. Yeah. That she has not met before. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's crazy. But I, I think part of the way that it like reason that it worked is because Alexis was new. Like, this is not written anywhere. It's just my opinion. It's like, because she was so new and guided by Lauren that like it like naturally came about between the two of them, which perfectly could have not worked. Sure. Like that could have just not worked for Alexis. But I think that because she was maybe such a clean slate, yeah, that her canvas got filled up by Lauren a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it sounded like Lauren was like a guiding light for Alexis in a yeah. lot of ways. And uh, there is a beautiful part in uh, Lauren talking about the revival where she felt like she was the one guiding. Alexis through a lot of the uh, beginning stages of Gilmore Girls and then she had to kind of hold on to her to guide her through the yeah. uh, revival because she was just so overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah. And I love how much you can see that in the early season, season yeah. one, where she like literally wraps her arm around Alexis be- to guide her because she yes. doesn't know where to go. Yes. Or she so can't sweet. do it at the same time. But like, yeah, that was one of my favorite parts in the what it was like part two yeah um, where she talks about the revival that like she was leaning on alexis because she didn't know what to do and i was like please stop i have to this tell you hurting my emotions around <laughs> this point in the book is where i started crying yeah the part that really got me is that lauren is talking about this on page 67 about what it was like to go to the upfronts and the upfronts are basically she describes this in here it's basically a presentation of all the shows that are slated to go to a certain network um, fun fact, and I told you about this, I sang backup for 30 Seconds to Mars at the CW Upfronts in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we Wild. find that odd because Haley used to work for Jared Leto. Very briefly. <laughs> worked for is generous. I was sure. an intern there. <laughs> you were an intern, but still, yeah. you worked with him, you know, on his team. And yeah. I, was this around the same time? No, this was years no, later. Yeah, this was after. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only reason I knew what an upfront was is because I was there <laughs> singing back up for 30 there. seconds to Mars with Jared Leto. Anyway, so at the upfronts, they, you know, she was there kind of getting the skinny on what time slot they would be. Thursdays at eight, which was a huge time slot at the time. So they were on the W. That was the same slot as friends. So she felt like they were already up against a monster. And like, realistically, they were. Um yeah. But luckily, that ended up not being the case. They ended up being moved to Tuesdays, of course, which is like classic. Like that to me, when it's a Thursdays at eight, I was like, no, they're on Tuesdays because Tuesdays was ended up being their slot. But yeah, she had this kind of defeated 
moment where she was like, all right, well, I loved this show, but bye bye. Like, <laughs> I think that actors face this a lot where they're not sure if a show is going to be picked up. They're not sure if it's going to be picked up past a season. So it's hard to fall in love with something and really commit yourself to it because you don't know if it's actually going to take off. And so she kind of resolved herself to this idea of what a lot of actors resolve themselves to, where it's just like, all right, here, another one bites the dust. One season of this really great show yeah. that I love, and here we are. But then Which she is funny says, to look back on because Friends and Gilmore Girls, I feel like, exist in the same like echelon of TV of mm-hmm. like people, like beloved comfort shows that people mm-hmm. reach for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that they thought that one was going to crush the other. I know. I, yeah. And it's just so funny because they're they're two different ends of the spectrum. Like, Yeah, completely different. But at the time, you had to choose. You had to choose because – Yeah. You could you watch know. Friends and half of Gilmore Girls. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You could watch the second half. Yeah. Um, but this is what really got me. She says, in front of me, two women who looked to be pretty close in age were watching the screen. As our scenes played, they gasped and grabbed onto each other, their faces lighting up. Mom, that's us, the daughter said, beaming at her young-looking mother. I just, I literally started weeping. Me too. I just like, <laughs> I just started crying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't that. I just, this idea of Lauren staring at these two people who connected so deeply with the show and started yeah. crying. Like, just, I just started crying. Yeah. Like, it's like from like here until the end of this chapter and then when we get to the arrival, I just like. Oh my God. Sobbing. Weeping yeah. openly. <laughs> Something that I think is a huge theme with Lauren throughout this book. At the bottom of page 68, after she shares that moment, she said, she goes on to say, they seem shocked and pleased to see themselves reflected in these characters. Something had clearly struck a chord with them in a big way. Hmm. She writes, she hmm. loves to hmm. <laughs> she does, but she loves to hmm at things that feel like they're over but aren't over. Yeah. And that comes back around. It majorly does. So... She goes on in the next page to, you know, she's basically setting us up. This entire chapter is about her saying, like, is about her finally watching herself yeah. for the first time because she doesn't watch herself, which, again, all power to her because, like, when especially when I was doing the pilot. And even with this, like, with us recording ourselves and posting on YouTube, I'm like, I have to watch it. I, uh, I need to know I that to what's watch, being put out listen. there is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a control freak. So her releasing that control is so admirable for her to not watch it until this point. The first but line. But she also explains why. Yeah. Which is that like. Oh my gosh. When would, would she been, have had the time to, no. to binge Gilmore Girls? Correct. Like while watching or while filming Gilmore also Girls. Also filming it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely But not. she she like talks about like if you've ever wondered that Lauren Graham loves you. She does. Because she she's does about to you. watch she's about Gilmore to do Girls. This. Yes. <laughs> but I love that she sets each one up the same where she kind of like talks about it. And then she, in each season, she talks about times are different and, like, kind of, like, the differences of now and then. Mm-hmm. She, like, almost remembers each season by how her hair was looking. Yes. Um, which is, like, I totally understand that. Um, Honestly, and same. Then, which haircut and then did she, I have? I'll tell you what year it is. And then she talks about the season finale, which I thought was, like, an interesting way to go mm-hmm. through each season and mm-hmm. pick that out. Because I would have wanted more. Yeah. Like, than just this. Yeah. But this is what she decided. It's true. The fact that the first scene that they filmed was the first scene that you see in the pilot. Yeah. The Netflix preview. <laughs> Obsessed. Yes. I love that. I love that that was the first scene. Yeah. It feels so right. It actually hurt my heart to find out that the first scene that you see in the revival is not the first scene that was shot. <gasps> me too. Because I always thought it was. But it's me not. Too. Especially because of how emotional Lauren is. Yeah. Because when she says, I missed you, kid. Like, oof. 
I'm getting emotional. Okay. Speaking of that, though, I really love in the beginning of this book when she's talking to her dad or there's like a conversation between them and he says, I love you too, kid. Uh, and I just was like, yep, man, man. <laughs> yes. She goes on to talk about how she feels like in today's age of streaming and having so much accessibility to so much. That today, if a mother and daughter speak in clever dialogue didn't also reveal themselves to be surgeons, werewolves, or undercover detectives by the end of the teaser, we'd never be picked up. Also, we all look 12 years old. <laughs> that really got me like because babies. she does go on to say most other shows in the WB at the time were peopled with young hotties. I loved that we were peopled with a lot of interesting people. Yeah. And then I, I like that she- <laughs> love that. That's what makes the show so special. Yeah. And I love that she goes on to like then like take that idea and talk about each person yes and like um like from that that like yes she really dives into each person and how she felt about them and um yeah yeah Yeah. but she talks about how this this part really really got me um when she talks about what she loved about the first season she said there are so many great episodes from this year but for me the show really hits its stride in episode six with rory's two birthdays yeah. And she goes on to talk about how um, Kelly is marvelous in the scene in Lorelai's bedroom where she sees a picture of Lorelai with a broken leg and they both really begin to get in a new way how much they've missed of not being part of each other's lives. From the start of the show, Kelly named herself as T as my TVM or TV mom, by which she meant she was taking her character's role seriously beyond the pages or the sets and out into the real world. Right away, we developed the easy rituals of old friends, meeting for lunch at Joe Allen in New York or out for guacamole at our favorite Mexican place in L.A., or allowing ourselves to split a little bag of Cheetos when we were filming in the middle of the night. In a maternal protective way, she found most of my boyfriends at the time lacking and once told me that I needed someone who was more my equal. And then she goes on to reference like that wonderful actor on Six Feet Under who is Peter Krause, who she ended up <laughs> dating. And at the time when she wrote this book was dating. Yeah. And she says, hmm. 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 Yeah. I just love that Kelly ended up taking on the role of mom for her. Yeah. There's something so special about that and that their relationship outside of the show was exactly the relationship that Emily wanted with Lorelai from the beginning. Yeah. And I love that that still exists because when Amy and Lauren did um, press for her new book, Mm -hmm. um, Have I Told You This Already, they talked about that like her and Emily and Amy still get together. I love that so much. Yeah. All and I know moms. a lot of people mention that like Alexis doesn't seem to like have that same relationship with her that she does have with other characters or other actors rather. And I think it's because um not because there's like animosity there, but I think just Alexis is more of like a private person. Yeah. Is what I've heard pretty universally about her and that she kind of likes to keep to herself. She's very introverted and it's not like in a sense of like that she's separating herself in like a bad way Mm. but i think that she just doesn't um like have that sort of relationship with people because of how she wants to lead her life which i think is fine and totally the way that she talks about alexis in here is very um positive and doesn't lead me to believe that it's in any way because of who she is no definitely not they seem to have a very close relationship especially the way she talks about her in the revival like we were just so happy to be back together yeah uh, I highlighted this because I felt like it kind of was applicable to uh, us. She goes on to talk about how the season finale approaches and she realizes that like the network couldn't possibly have this large expectation of them because of the time slot they've been given. But she said, 
Yet bit by bit, we begin to accumulate nice notices and loyal viewers, which feels like us. Yeah. It kind really of does. Like you- starting from not nothing, but like starting from like a kind of like smaller place, an independent place and growing and growing and growing slowly. But I think that that's part of the reason why um, this show attracted such a dedicated audience is because they were invested. Yeah. I I don't think that like exploding and going viral is necessarily the way to get a loyal, dedicated viewership or listenership. Like invested besties is kind of I feel yeah. like wh- who we have and like yeah. growing slowly, I feel like is the best way to go. You know yeah. what I thought you were actually going to bring up here is that she talks about like the finale of season one and what mm-hmm. happens in that episode. Yep. And the thousand yellow daisies, which we love. But yeah. the thing that we always gripe about is that it was over the phone. And, and she, she said that, that was that. weird too. And I was like, <laughs> She said, you. although weirdly, he does it over the phone. Yeah, weird. It's <laughs> I was weird. Like, Thanks, Lauren. There's so many things that she said like, odd and i'm like yeah lauren you're right (laughs) yeah totally she feels the same way that we do and i love that for her yeah um so something i want to point out is that as she goes on to talk about season two she mentions very briefly um that dean and rory there's an episode uh where they watch the three of them the joan and melissa Rivers story and she goes on to talk about joan rivers was also um a barnard alum and she talks about how she included this in her pilot that she co-wrote about an aspiring late night talk show host played by me. And she'd mentioned that very briefly um, earlier in the book that she co-wrote yeah. the pilot. And I did a little digging and I found it. And um, the the show was initially called Let It Go. And it was, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was called Let It Go. And there were articles that ABC had given the green light for this pilot. This was back in 2009. So right around okay. the time that she was doing Guys and Dolls. The show ended up being called The Bridget Show, and they filmed the pilot. However, it didn't get picked up. And um, I found this uh, YouTube video of this guy saying, like, I found the pilot of The Bridget Show, and let me tell you, I understand why it didn't go to air. And I was like, oh, man. And I feel like at some point, not now, um, but at some point we should do a dive into that. That and um, the Parker Posey series that Amy Sherman Palladino also uh, tried to do around the same time. This was like, 2008. I think that we should do maybe a deep dive on those two things, kind of yeah. remaining in the Gilmore world, like life after Gilmore Girls kind of a thing yeah. for the two of them. There's which... life after Gilmore Girls? But in her season two recount, she says, over the summer, I dyed my hair red because it seemed like a fun idea. And then I had to dye it back for the show. So this season, my hair is black with red undertones and super damaged, which the (laughs) second that you put on season two, episode one, you can tell that she has different hair. She has red hair now. Brett, I remember being like, who gave her the red highlights? And I was like, I I don't know. Clearly, she she changed over the summer. And she certainly did. The only thing that I wish I would have um, known, and I, she probably didn't know why, but she does mention at the beginning as we go into season two that it's now changed to Tuesdays at eight, mm-hmm. which is what we know yep. Gilmore Girls to be. Well, like it stayed Tuesday at eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and why that was. Yeah. I guess like maybe because of friends and they're like, this is doing well. Let's not sink it mm-hmm. while it's still trying to swim. Um, and clearly seems like it might actually do something. So yeah. I'm interested why that happened. But 
I don't know. Like that was what I wanted to know. Yeah. I'm curious as well, but they didn't really go into it. So she moves into season three. Um, I love that she brings up John Hamm and she's like, I single-handedly launched John Hamm's career by casting him as Peyton Sanders. Just kidding. I had nothing to do with his casting or any of his success to come. But I do remember thinking what a talented foxy dude he was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like that she also calls out actors as they like appear. And especially as they're her friends, like Chris Eigman and um, Billy Burke. Billy Burke and people that she was friends with that ended up making it onto the show. I think it's really, really fun and exciting. Yeah. But she goes on to say under the section, what I love, the speech in the first episode where Lorelai confesses to Luke, she's worried she'll never have the whole package now that she and Christopher have broken up. It was timely for Lorelai and I think for me too. She goes on to talk about this later in the book about the perception of how single she was throughout her career and that like she really focused on work. And then when, you know, she was in her 30s and everybody around her started, you know, getting married, having kids. This is the conundrum in Sex and the City, right? Is that like when you're single in your 30s, there's sort of this spotlight that shines down on you, um, especially when you're in the media of like, why is she single? Why is she single? Why doesn't she have a man? It's like, can we all shut the fuck up for a second? She's a very (laughs) successful woman. And nothing has to be inherently wrong with her, but the media and society puts that pressure on women to feel like there is something wrong with you if you don't have a partner. And I think Lorelai faced that a lot in this series. And I didn't realize how much that was mirrored in the reflection of Lauren and how she was perceived not only by the media, but then started to like kind of pose the same question to herself. And I will look at that scene a lot differently now. Yeah. But like, I also like the, um, I like how she relates it to herself, but is also watching the acting here because she talks about how Luke consoles Lorelai in a generous way, even though you can tell it's causing him pain to do so. Well played, Scott Patterson. Mm -hmm. And I just love that so much because like we talk about that moment so much when we were watching it on Patreon because we just like it was so heartbreaking like to have him there like witnessing this moment. And I love that she ended up having such a personal like relationship to that moment because it's so well done it's one of my favorite episodes of the season um those early episodes and so it speaks volumes to the kind of actor that lauren is and also the chemistry that she has with scott which she talks about a lot in this book when she goes on to talk about season four i love that she calls out the banter between emily and lorelei in an affair to remember yeah. Where she says, you have the word juicy written on your rear end. Well, if I'd known you were coming over, I would have changed to what? A brassiere with the word tasty on it? <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I love it so much. One of our favorites as well, Lauren. I love finding out that like the outfit that she was wearing in the uh, episode one of season four, like all of the Irish stuff was hers. <laughs> I know, but also can relate because I think I've mentioned this on here. I have yeah, that the shirt, shirt yeah. as well. And my mom fully bought it for me. I feel like there's something about like parents, especially like boomers <laughs> and above that are like Irish pride. And they yeah. bought me that t-shirt. What was funny is she was like, I was really hitting that Irish thing hard. But later on, she talks about like when in like a different chapter about talking to alexis about getting a tattoo and she was going to get something really profound and alexis goes so you're going to get a shamrock yeah and And like she was like like, so offended but she was like yeah that probably is what i would get Um, (laughs) (laughs) and i just like that moment made me think about that of like she's literally like decked out in her own irish gear and like here's alexis with like you're gonna get a shamrock (laughs) yeah yeah i love it. it so good Something else that I didn't know, and she goes on to talk about this. She says, I love Michelle's devotion to his chow chow, too. This was probably the year that Amy and Dan got theirs, to whom they were also extremely dedicated. I did not know. 
I that Pow Pow and Chin Chin were <laughs> an homage to Amy and Dan's Chows. Chow Chow. Chow yeah. Chows. I love I that. Wonder, I want to know what their names are. I do too. Because they say theirs and I couldn't I couldn't tell if they had more than one because it was like Amy and Dan's. But um, yeah. this is also when she said I can see why the teens formed. Yes. Of- she was like, this was a really good time for Jess, for Milo Ventimiglia and the tension with Dean. And she was like, I get it. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. But have you seen that video where uh, on TikTok and Instagram where she's like, yeah. never pick a team. Yeah. Because it was like um, they were it was a signing in the Hamptons and yeah. Jenny Han, who uh, did uh, the summer I turned pretty, and she was like, "You never pick a team. You never <laughs> pick a team." Which I love. And then by the time season five rolls around, she does bring attention to the fact that Matt Zuckery joins. I love that the I opening know. line is, "This is basically a whole season of Rory and Lorelai having tension, Emily and Richard having tension, and Dean and Lindsay having tension. Fight, fight, <laughs> fight!" I read that in your voice. <laughs> fight. You know fight, I love fight. a fight. I know you Maybe do. That's why I love season five so much. But I was. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, it's all conflict. This is why Hilly loves this so much. She loves a fight. That girl. Um, I was interested by the Dean and Lindsay tension. Maybe mm. she had just watched episode one and like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I guess so. That was very short. That wasn't really a theme of season five. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the, what do we call it? The prologue of season yeah, five. It really before is. Before Logan enters the chat. Ah, uh, Logan. Talented Matt Zucre joins the cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Further complicating who you choose as Rory's destiny, mm-hmm. as she says. Um, but my favorite thing is that she... Uh, points out whenever she wears her glasses and she feels like she looks like tina fey in weekend update and she like, doesn't not look like tina fey in i know because she includes the picture and i looked at it and i was like oh i that see it. i literally correct. wrote lol in my book <laughs> yeah so so funny and so so on point um but she kind of talks about the season five finale how chaotic the next conflict ends up being and what i find really interesting is that when she starts talking about season six, she says, I have to admit, I struggled with the Lorelai Rory separation this year. Same. It went on for a while and Lorelai was so crabby with Rory for several episodes, not to mention that I missed my favorite scene partner. Doesn't that make you... That kills me too. That kills me. I know. I missed my favorite I scene know. partner. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I'd never played a character for this long. And while it's a bad actor cliche to say my character would never do that, the line between personal and professional starts to get so blurry. And after a while, you start to feel like what's happening to your character is sort of also happening to you. I remember talking about it with Amy, who felt it was important developmentally that this always close relationship hit a significant growing pain. I just, I, I have to imagine that was so hard for her because I am the same as her where I'm like, wait, yeah, what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to be yeah. separated. Can we not? I love that Amy was like, this makes sense. And it does. It It really does make sense for like moving forward. But I just love when she talks about the reunion (gasps) hug and what I love that like that was real for her. How poetic it was and silly to see Mm -hmm. you look more silver than I remember and to go out there and have that moment after like not having it. Like her whole life was like all of her scenes with Maury for the last five seasons. And then to have that hug, like – I even I know the hugs around the world. Like we all cry when we see that. If you don't cry, I'm sorry. You have no soul. I would like to ask (laughs) if you're okay. It just your emotions exist elsewhere. Um, Hey, speaking of having a soul and being emotional, something that she writes under what I love. I love the scene with Kelly in the private plane where she blames herself for Rory's troubles. Vulnerable Emily is so compelling, especially because Kelly only lets it out once in a while. I Me too. I wrote vulnerable, vulnerable Emily, Emily with so a bunch compelling. of exclamation points after it because it's so true. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we love the character of Emily is when we see those vulnerable moments. And like, 
she says here. Kelly only lets it out every so often. We see the subtlety in it. That's what makes Kelly yeah. such an amazing actress. But man, is it good. Yeah, because that's when we started like the Emily version of Mac and Cheese, Mac and Cheese Paris is banana toast Emily. And like that's who that vulnerable version of Emily is. And like, yeah. oh, it's so, so good. On the other side. She does say Lori and Logan in love are extremely fun to watch. They really are. She didn't say that about Jess or Dean. Yeah, she did not. She didn't. Anyways, just had to mention that. I <laughs> underlined that part and I wrote Haley. Um, <laughs> but then she goes on to talk about the season finale partings. And I was curious if she was going to talk about how she felt about that episode in the same way that she talked about her separation between Lorelai and Rory and how she felt about giving Luke the ultimatum and then sleeping with Christopher and being like, I don't know that I agree with this. I don't know that I agree yeah. that Lorelai would do something like this. Um, but before we get into it, there's a side note in here. Will someone please write a thesis paper on all the bizarre dreams that these characters have? I still need help deciphering them. We need to do a dreams episode. Literally, I'm going to show you my book where right next to it, <gasps> I wrote, Episode? Oh my god, shut up. <laughs> I wrote the same thing. I wrote, we need to do a dreams episode. Yeah, I literally <gasps> wrote next to it, episode question mark, so I could bring it up to tell you. Two girlies, <laughs> one brain. I love it. Oh. But no, what was interesting is she didn't talk about the content of the episode. It was more of the, what it meant. Yes. It's like this truly was partings, yep. and like they didn't realize that there would be a revival to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um but it was their last episode. And that felt like maybe that was the more, she said it had the earmarks of a classic juicy, wacky season finale. Um, but it was partings indeed. So. Yeah. Because no one knew that it was going to be Amy and Dan's last episode, which is yeah. heartbreaking. I think by the time they were filming it, they did know. Um, that really felt like the focus of it, though. I do want to talk to her about the content. <laughs> oh, fully. I would love to. I would love to have that conversation. When she goes on to talk about season seven, you know, there's no surprise here that she opens it by saying, well, in many ways, it was a tough year and sort of a jumble for me memory wise. You know, I, I, I too would be like so distracted by the fact that this was such a new era for them and one that they didn't necessarily enjoy being in, but also simultaneously loved their jobs. So it was hard yeah. to not enjoy it fully. Um, but she goes on to talk about this. And we, we've we mentioned this in the past, how um, when they did finally film the revival, there was a super fan production assistant who had to come in and be like, no, this happened. And she was like, what? You, we yeah, got married that Chris and in Paris? Laura and I were married. No. And another yeah. thing she disagreed with was that Lorelai would ever get married without Rory being there. Yeah. And we all have gripes with that. Yeah. What was interesting about season seven in like the writing form is that she did not adhere to the way that she did through one through six, where she did the times are different, mm-hmm. what she loved, fashion and hair. Um, and season finale, she just wrote about it. Yeah. I thought that was intriguing that she didn't give it the same treatment. Mm-hmm. Um and it's very clear because she didn't feel the same. No. She said she, it was like creatively they weren't sure where the show was heading. This is exactly where, it, I, where I started yeah. highlighting. And we were starting to feel a bit uninspired. And it just feels like that's why she didn't treat it the same. That like she tried to treat the show the same. Tried to treat the show the same. That's really hard to say. Um, but it just wasn't. This was not. No. How could you? How could you without could the you? creator there? <laughs> yeah. Who, was, who had her hand in everything that happened. How could you? How dare you? (laughs) First of all, how dare you? (laughs) But she does say in that same paragraph that I also kind of was my my biggest takeaway and I highlighted 
To both of us, Rory graduating from Yale actually seemed like a logistical place to end the story. We both stood to get a raise if we stayed longer, but we loved the show far too much to keep it going for that reason, to keep going for that reason alone if the content wasn't good enough. And I respect that so much because yeah. what's the point? The con- If the content's not good, yeah, the they would have just kind of run that show into the ground fully more than they already did. Yeah. It was interesting that, and I had heard this from Amy before, that... Or maybe I actually heard it here first because when I read it, but since then I'd heard it from Amy that they wanted her to come back, mm-hmm. like for a shortened season. I didn't realize or, that. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not surprising to me, but I didn't realize that. It says, over yeah. the next few weeks, various – this was after they had finished filming season seven. Over the next few weeks, various scenarios were discussed, returning for a full season or possibly a shorter farewell season of just 13 episodes trying to entice Amy and Dan to return or letting the show go all together. I'm wondering how you would feel about like a mini – short farewell season season eight i don't know i i think that i would have loved it like in the same way that i love the revival in the same way that i actually don't um but like it's that sense of like going back to my town going back to my faves and like having amy resurrect it but i think that like it was too close for her Mm -hmm. like i think that's kind of what she said before is like i think that that resentment would have been there and i don't know that it would have been a service to the show Mm -hmm. like i don't know if she would have been in the right emotional place to write it and finish it the way that she wanted and actually have it there Mm -hmm. after like having to do a massive recovery Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and do surgery after season seven yeah i don't know if she would have been able to do that that close to it whereas having the separation of eight years you can even though these characters clearly stood frozen in time for eight years in a lot of ways Um, (laughs) yeah i stayed there vibes yeah she was able to kind of have a little bit more freedom to play around because time had passed yeah that's what i'm saying it's like you can drop storylines and it seems natural because of course over the that's how life goes yeah chris would kind of fall out of the picture but like if he's not like there sort of immediately Mm. i mean i guess he fell out of season four so super easy to write chris out um that's <laughs> has been true proven. i don't know i think i would have enjoyed it i think i would have liked it especially young Haley. she would have fucking loved it oh yeah there's no way that you would have had a season eight without logan huntsberger oh my Please. god i wonder i wonder how amy would have handled that yeah but of course as we come to find out that's not what happened and i remember reading this part of the book where lauren describes finding out about yeah how the show was canceled I remember sobbing in the line for Slinky Dog in Disney World, reading this part, which I had already read before. I was just rereading this book in 2021 about her finding out about it being canceled. Like, just outright (sighs) sobbing in this 80-minute long line. (laughs) It's sad. It's sad that that is the way that they found out. And and the other thing that actually makes me even more sad is that she goes on to say, I found out much later that Alexis and I were the only cast members who were officially informed, and others found out in far less conventional ways. Ed Herman learned the show was canceled from the clerk at his video store in Connecticut. Yeah, Imagine I remember that. him telling that story. And he what? was like, huh. Yeah. Imagine that. The setup of her learning about it, though, is like so... Um, 2007? Like, but actually, so, it kind yeah, of like, feels like 1997. Like in 2007, I, I was going to say had, it's like, like feels phones, like so 1990, phones. 1998. Yeah. Like it just because um, 1989. So I'm going to say not to 1998. But because um, she was at a restaurant and the waiter came up to her and said, her, "Your agent's on the phone," and they said the show's over. Like, and then she went back to dinner. Here are my questions. <laughs> here are my follow up questions. How did you find her? 
I imagine that um, it's on the calendar because I had this whole thought process last night because I was like, could I do this? Could I just like disconnect and then be like, hey, I'm going to this restaurant. And if you need to contact me, call them, call the restaurant. <laughs> but I was like, you'd have to like really share your calendar with everyone. So everyone always knows where you are so they can contact. I don't know. You're at Target. They literally call Target. <laughs> that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I imagine maybe like her agent knew where she was going to be. Mm. Maybe she was anticipating a call. Mm. Um, maybe. But also she would have had a cell phone then, right? Maybe she didn't. Maybe it was in the trunk in her purse. <laughs> Crazy. But yeah, I do love that tidbit. And she was like, the show was over before the appetizers arrived. Wow. And like imagine one fell swoop. You know, it's gone. Go. Especially because she she details in the page before that she left set that day, and there was an air over it of like this could be the last. Yeah, but she left set that day because it was such it, like it was such a a long and lengthy day, and she said she left bleary eyed, just being like bye guys. And she's like, I might have left differently had I known that would have been the last time. Which we, of course, know it wasn't the last time the reunion was going to be so sweet. And that's kind of what made it sweeter is that they didn't know it was going to be the last one. But I would have felt so unresolved about that. Yeah, because that's what she says. If I had to do it all over again, I'd have called everyone and thrown a party too. To end so abruptly was such an odd conclusion to our epic adventure. Over the next eight years, I saw members of the cast socially, but wasn't until the reunion at ATX Festival in Austin in March 2015 Mm. that we'd all... Well, almost all be together again. Mm. And it's just really heartbreaking because, like, there was never a moment where they all got together and Ed was there, too. I know. Oh, my God. When they go on to talk about Ed and the revival, just cried like a baby. (laughs) Just me crying like a baby on my couch. Yeah. But you know what? I don't know. I I wasn't a part of this. But sometimes, for me, and I don't think this is an experience that I would necessarily put in this category, sometimes Irish goodbying things in my life is better for me than like clutching onto them and really giving them maybe the goodbye that I feel like they deserve. This of course is different, but there are some ways sometimes in which an Irish goodbye to something in your life is almost easier. Yeah. You know? Cause goodbyes are hard. Goodbyes are hard. It's an uncomfortable feeling. It's a very uncomfortable feeling to sit in. Yeah. And I don't know which is better. I, know. I don't know if it's better to have like the distinct like there's very few things I feel in life that you do get that sort of like a distinct, distinct goodbye for yeah yeah and it's like so many things are just kind of open-ended and you have to like you kind of accidentally in this way Irish goodbye them yeah um but something I'm trying to work on this year is being okay with feeling uncomfortable yeah that's a tough thing to do yeah sitting in the discomfort of like hard to move through feelings or uncomfortable yeah. feelings that's my goal my goal is to feel more uncomfortable this year. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but as she wraps up this chapter, she says, Over the years, fans continued to ask about a movie for good reason. In some ways, the characters have been left frozen in midair with many questions unanswered. Of course, I too wished we had more closure on such an important chapter of my life, but I never could have imagined how incredibly satisfying it would be to come back to it all these years later. And that's, again, going back to what I said before, I feel like revisiting this would not have been nearly as sweet had it not ended the way that it did. Yeah. Which sucks. It sucks that it had to be (laughs) like you had to move through years of feeling unresolved to get that sweet, satisfying ending. But was it an ending? We'll get there. Hmm. Hmm. As she says.
that's kind of the end of Gilmore Girls original. Yes. The original Gilmore Girls. Yeah. As she references it. And I will say I wish there was more. Like, uh, maybe at the beginning of this, I uh, disagree with myself then. I think that I, um, yeah, I think I would have, um, if I was her editor here, I think I would have um, pushed her for more. Mm. Maybe And maybe she did. Maybe this is what she was willing to give. And maybe this is as much as she remembered. I mean, it's, like, hard. It was so long ago. It was ago so long to, like, ago. Go and she's show. basically, like, skimming through this you know, seven years of her life that yeah. was so, so special to 153 her. 153 episodes oh she sat God. down and watched. <laughs> like, my girl. Dang. Do you think yeah. she watched them all? Or do you think she... She said at some point that she, I think she skimmed through. Yeah, that's what I thought she said. Still a um, lot. Still a lot yeah. to do. Anyway, we move into this chapter where she talks about being single. And this is kind of what I was talking about before, uh, which low-key broke my heart because it's like, why was that the focus? But of course, it's no surprise that that was the focus of a lot of, of course, her time in the spotlight is like, why is she single? Um, yeah, who cares? she was a beautiful woman in the 2000s. So of course, the thing that they're going to focus on is why is this woman not married? Yeah. <laughs> and she goes on to talk about how she met Peter Krause, who at the time she was in a very lengthy relationship with, and she goes on to be in parenthood with. She met him at an award show back in what year? 2003? 2002. 2002 and uh you know SAG awards at the SAG awards they presented an award together there's a very cute photo of the two of them they look like actual children (laughs) like literally peter kraus like whose dad's suit is that that you're trying to fit yourself into is it your dad is it somebody else's dad either way he looks like he would be in suits like with this haircut and the suit so like he'd be in the show suits (laughs) anyway she talks about how you know they met and that you know, it took them years after that to kind of come back together and end up dating and, of course, being in parenthood together. And they, you know, embark on this very long relationship. But the advice that I love that she leaves us with is on page 100. She says, she goes, here's the thing. I was fine on my own. And so are you. But it can be hard when you feel ready for the happy couplehood and you seem to have missed the train. As my friend Oliver Platt used to say to me about hopes and dreams, I'd share with him. It's coming, just not on your time frame. I find this a helpful reminder in any number of ways, not only when you're hoping to meet someone, but also when you're waiting for a better job or for some or for some relief during a bleak time. But life doesn't always spell things out for you or give you what you want exactly when you want it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called life. It would be called vending machine. <laughs> it's hard to say exactly when it will happen. And it's true that whatever you're after may not drop down the moment you spend all of your quarters, but someday soon a train is coming. In fact, it may already be on the way. You just don't know it yet. And that's where I think that this book is applicable to not only Gilmore Girls lovers or even actors, but to people just trying to navigate life. Which is all of us. Which is genuinely all of us, we hope. Yeah. Can I say that I loved the tidbits about the, her and Peter holding hands? So like, cute. M- my romance loving heart oh, just I'm sure. Explodes. Because when she said when Peter and I held hands that night all those years ago, I had no idea we'd end up shopping at REI together one day. And I like, that made me cry. I know. <laughs> I was like, just this, like, especially like what you just read about, like, it's such that Lorelai moment in season three mm. where it's like, I'm fine. I'm independent. I like my life. But like, I just want someone else to deal with like life with. Yeah. And that's like exactly what this feels like. And to like have that moment where you're like holding hands with someone mm. and to like then flash forward and you're just like going through your mundane life together at REI is just like, that's why I like romance novels so much. Yeah, it's course. just like this like little tidbit of a detail that turns into your whole life. Yeah. And it just like, oh, 
kills me. I love it. Murders me. And and <laughs> that kind of bleeds into the next chapter where she's talking about all of the jobs that, you know, she and her colleagues would reminisce on when they did finally, yeah. quote unquote, make it, right? You know, yeah. she attended this party with Peter where they had to write down all of the jobs that they ever did to make money. Yeah. And so it kind Which of- is crazy you, to read through. Oh my God. It puts you in this <laughs> really retrospective she place. Was, <laughs> she's wild jobs. But my favorite one was she was an Uno demonstrator at the fair. <laughs> I love that. Like, what are you doing? Well, that's like, so why, how did you, how'd you get that? Like, how'd you become that- expert i know like how'd you get that role yeah yes <laughs> it's so <laughs> good but this is where she once again gives sage advice to people who may not necessarily be actors but actors i find have more of these obscure jobs to make money while they're pursuing this like career that is uh a little unattainable for a while or feels unattainable so you're doing all these odd jobs to make money while you pursue your dreams and yeah. she says on page 111 there's more comedy in failure than in success and it's a much more universal language. It's an accomplishment to do something well, but maybe an even bigger one to do something well when you'd really rather not be doing it at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like wrote that down. I had some sticky notes and I wrote that down that the, there's more comedy in failure. Yeah, you kind of it's hard to joke about your successes. You almost want to because you're like, you don't want to like brag, I guess. Yeah. That it feels more fun to talk about when you failed. Totally. In I, think that, I think that Maybe there's the more. <laughs> no, but I think there's more bonding over failure. Yeah. Over like, here's what I thought was going to be the plan. Again, it, it goes back to the plan. And that's what I love about that quote at the beginning is like, you can have a plan and it doesn't necessarily mean that the plan is going to work. So yeah. laugh at it and form a new plan because there's more comedy in failure than there is in success. And you can bond over failure a lot more easily because so many people go through it and it makes you yeah. feel a little less alone. Now, we we move into this chapter about her being a guest on Project Runway, and I had secondhand uh, embarrassment for the <gasps> moment when she accidentally, very accidentally, like, A, hurt somebody's feelings that <laughs> It's too t-shirty. It's too t-shirty. <laughs> and then also, like, definitely broke her contract and her NDA by, like, talking to people about her experience on the show before it aired. Anyway, yeah. the reason that I want to bring this up, on page 114, it's a very important page because I found out upon... Uh, opening my book and approaching page 114 that this is the farthest I got in the book when I read this book in 2017. And I know the serious? exact date that I read the book because I have a Metro North Railroad receipt <gasps> in here as my bookmark that is dated January 4th, 2017, which and is you didn't read the very rest? close to the date that we're recording this. I did not read the rest of this book. Well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Boy, am I. Um, I was like, I guess I never made it farther than page 114. Was it the picture of Lauren as a child that yes, stopped that you? Yes, that really stopped like me in my tracks troll? and I said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, but other than that, yeah, this uh, this chapter was really about her time on Project Runway as a judge, um, kind of talking about how she didn't feel qualified to be a judge. And I love that because I also feel the same way. I never want to hurt someone's feelings. I don't feel qualified to give my opinions unless somebody asks me. And also yeah. like someone was literally there and was like, I love you. And then she and told- that was the person. <laughs> yes, and that was the person that she was like, it's too t-shirty. Your t-shirt is too t-shirty. And I just like killed me. But like, I, I, it's interesting to me that she made a whole chapter out of this. That, like that moment for her was like so uh, important, but it also like really conveyed like was able to convey like her fashion history and how much she liked to wear like boys clothes yeah. and how her dad was the best dressed at his Catholic school where they all wore the same uniform <laughs> <laughs> and that like fashion has not really been something that she's been like 
strongly known for or like followed and i just love the way that this ends is i'll just have to make it work because like one of my favorite things to say is like what tim gunn says in project runway is like it's a make it work moment Mm. um so i just love when she just said you'll just have to make it work but i do love that tim gunn was like made her blush yeah i was like what a great way to start the season and she was like (laughs) okay (laughs) but it does sound stressful it sounds so stressful i don't think i could do it no good on her for doing it but (laughs) anyway she goes on to talk about writing her book someday someday maybe and we talked about this earlier yeah yeah um but this is where i i i think that if you haven't read this reading this chapter is really lovely and wonderful and reminiscent on you know like we were talking about before kind of diving into something unknown and something that you feel you're drawn to, but that you don't know quite yet if you can do it and just kind of taking the leap and hoping the net will appear and hoping the right people will be there to catch you when you do choose to take the plunge. And that's exactly what happens, which is very fun. Yeah. And my favorite part of this chapter, like speaking to all of that is that, um, she kept ending up in these places of like, who's going to do this? Like who would like, sort of uh situation and um may from her may whitman who played her daughter in parenthood Mm -hmm. um especially it was specifically for like who's gonna write this pilot or who's gonna adapt this book and they were like you and Mm -hmm. i really loved that because she said if i'm ever in that position and you ask me who i'll be my best i'll do my best to say you too um that was the section i also highlighted it just made me start crying because like i think that's something that's so important like i've had so many specifically like women in my life who like i have met and like whatever i was doing that like connected me to them didn't work out job wise or whatever they always like did something to like help me Mm -hmm. like move forward like there's one that i'm thinking of specifically and one day i was like i literally asked her i was like why do you do this like you do so much for me and she said um She's like, I don't know why I wouldn't. It's just my only hope that would ever come for this is that when you're in my position that you'll turn around and do the same for someone else. And like, I like still think about that and want to cry about it. And that's just what that feels like is like, if I have the option to say who, I'm going to say you. And I just was like, oh, yes. I know. I love this so much. I wrote thanks, Lauren, with a little heart next to it because the whole paragraph reads, I guess what I'm saying is let's keep lifting each other up. It's not lost on me that two of the biggest opportunities I've had to break into the next level were given to me by successful women in positions of power. And then she says, if I'm ever in that position and you ask me who, I'll do my best to say you too. But in order to get there, you may have to break down the walls of whatever it is that's holding you back first. Ignore the doubt. It's not your friend. And just keep going, keep going, keep going, which was advice that she had also gotten from a colleague. And it just reminded me so much of the relationship that you and I have, like our endeavors that exist outside of the podcast. I think I talk to a lot of people who have partnerships, like creative partnerships, where they're sometimes so fearful to be like, hey, I'm going to do this thing on my own. And I love that the two of us have forged other opportunities outside of this that we're both like, that's amazing. That's so cool. Go do that thing. Because why wouldn't we? Yeah. I don't know. Like it's we are attached together by um our favorite thing, but I don't but we have so many interests beyond this thing that, that exists outside. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't understand why we wouldn't. Speaking of speaking of writing your book and doing something that exists outside of this, she goes on to talk about yeah. writing her book and the yeah. kitchen timer method. Yeah, and it's like a short chapter, but she talks about how um uh, a friend of hers was like, You have to talk to my husband mm. um, because she was writing her book 
like, I think she was writing two books while she was filming Gilmore Girls. And she was like, I don't have the time that I had on Parenthood anymore. Yeah. Like, it was just so overwhelmed. Well, she was adapting something for the CW into yeah. a screenplay. Oh, she was doing the pilot yeah. and this book yeah. this, that we're reading here now and talking to you about. Um, but he talked to her about um, the kitchen timer method, which mm. is basically that, like, you have a kitchen timer, which I literally bought one. Um, for 60 minutes, you set a timer. You have to turn off the internet. You put your phone away. You can do nothing else. And you have two things, which is your book or whatever project you're working on in your journal. And you write in your journal. And when you're done writing in your journal, you write in your project. And when you're done writing in your project, you write in your journal. And you have to do that for an hour. You're writing regardless of if you're writing like, I hate writing the whole time. And it's just supposed to like um, it's not supposed to be like a productivity thing. Like it's not like I have done X amount of words during this time. It's like I have just written the entire time. And the day bef- like before, so like on Tuesday, you decide what you do on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And if you say I'm going to do two hours and then you only do one hour, the next day you're supposed to lower it enough. So it's not like this like aspirational thing. It's like a I can achieve this. It's like manageable. Mm. Um, and it's so so helpful because it's like it's such like a slog to like actually sit down and do the thing but if you're like this is my hour i'm gonna do it and i can do nothing else it really it really unlocks your brain yeah totally and like i until i like like ran into that like i had a really hard time writing yeah um it can be tough writer's block is such a real thing yeah and i think that that helps writer's block a lot because it's like the intention is not I'm going to write 6,000 words during this time period. It's I'm just going to write. Because you can write in your journal the whole hour. Mm. You can write in your project the whole hour. But it's just a matter of writing. writing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, they said you can write your grocery list. You can write how you're feeling, what happened yesterday. Yeah, but like, it's it's moreover to cut you off from anything that's going to distract you from actually putting pen to paper or yeah. typing it out on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the only dis- the only thing that I don't adhere to is it says to play music without words, but I always write with music words um, i can't do that yeah it's like um turning down the music to see better for me i can't concentrate yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for me sometimes it just locks me into an emotion that's happening sure. in the scene and so i like stay there and just like like one of my top songs was i'll be seeing you by billy holiday um not because i listen to it all the time but because i listen to it for hours on end when i do listen to it yeah like it locks me into what i'm writing i totally hear that i've done yeah. that before i write I've done that. Mm. Like I'll put in music that I feel is inspiring me and is in the tone of what I'm writing. Um, I had this soundtrack that I would listen to while I was writing under the influence, but I would always listen to it first, come up with the concept and then write, but I couldn't write at the same time as the music was on. That's just, that's just a me thing. Yeah. But then she goes on to do the old Lady Jackson chapter, which I just love. We already talked about it a little bit, so we don't need to go into complete depth but basically old lady jackson is this character that she refers to as herself when she's just basically being like an overprotective older generation woman and i love it yeah i love it especially to her parenthood kid actors yes i i loved reading this and reading the like alter ego of who she is like now that she's kind of become part of the quote-unquote older generation she says old lady jackson isn't judgmental she's just worried about you and wonders about things like your nose ring doesn't that hurt and how can you possibly keep it clean and that sixth tattoo you got isn't five enough but not me no sorry i'm proud of you for expressing yourself (laughs) and she goes on to talk about how the relationship that she had with her parenthood kids because of course like mother-child relationship was kind of different than the off-screen relationship she had with Alexis because Alexis, you know, has this conversation with her about the tattoo and the shamrock where she's like, 
so you're gonna get a shamrock <laughs> <laughs> that's like the most like she says she says it really gently which i imagine is how alexis would deal like any sort of burn that she's delivering to sure. someone like she just like so a shamrock <laughs> iconic i love it but something that she goes on to talk about here um is one of my ins for 2024. Ooh. She says, sometimes the idea of doing something is the most fun part. And after you go through with it, you feel deflated because you realize that you're back to looking for the next thrill. Often waiting reveals the truth about something and not responding to your every impulse can save you the heartache of waking up in the morning with a sense of regret after having impulsively texted that guy at 2 a.m. Because you just had <laughs> to tell him about the funny skit you watched on SNL and it's not like you wanted to date him or anything and you'd only had one glass of wine or was it two? But in any case, he was probably up anyway. Don't press send. Old lady Jackson is fond of counseling. Just wait a beat. And that's a 2024 in for me is breathing before responding. Mm. I have this tendency to just like respond to everything that comes my way. I get very anxious about it because as soon as someone messages me, this goes hand in hand with um, people having access to you and not being on do not disturb, which I need to be on more often. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's Calm hard. Life. It's hard because like as soon as people reach out to me, I want to immediately respond because yeah. we've we've now ushered ourselves into this world of that immediate response and of having access to people at all times. And yeah. I don't remember where I was heard it or read it, but it was like it's the same thing as someone like bursting into your room and saying something to you. Yeah. And then like them expecting that to be OK. Yeah. Um, and that you would immediately respond. I, I promise you when you go from like the I guess anxiety of like constantly getting notifications to being on do not disturb for the past like six years and then having to have it on like if your doctor's gonna call you or something it's stressful it's yeah. like reverse stress sure like getting all the notifications is stressful yeah but you still check them it's not like you're like ignoring your phone entirely yeah it's just like they're not going off if you have the chance go read the letter that old lady jackson writes you it's very cute and very fun yeah it's a good time but then we get into the real reason we all gathered here today what it was like, part two. Yes. It starts with a spoiler alert because this book did come out right after, you know, or right around the time of the revival. So she was like, if you have not seen this, do not read this. Because yeah. <laughs> it has spoilers in it. I just honestly cried for the whole rest of this book. Something that was very interesting about the return of Gilmore Girls and the – um. I guess the format of it mm. was inspired by Sherlock. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I didn't. That was like something that like I had no idea had come about, um, which like Sherlock was so big at the time. Mm. I remember like binging all those episodes and like also being weird that like it was just a couple of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought that was really interesting that she, that Amy pulled that sort of like format and adapted it for Gilmore Girls. Um but I also one of my favorite. I keep saying one of my favorite things about this, but it's just it's all, all our favorite, favorite. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that Amy would like message Lauren all of these things. She couldn't tell if she was asking her personally or if she was like incorporating plot lines yes. into the new version of Gilmore Girls, yes. like life changing, tidying up, and wild, and like all of these things. And it's just it's just so funny to like kind of get a glimpse into how Amy was working at this time. <laughs> like if you're at wild. <laughs> I love that she was like, have you read the life-changing uh, magic, magic of tidying, tidying up? <laughs> have you done wild? Have you read it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love that she couldn't just like differentiate between like, what are you doing for a storyline and how much of this is you actually asking yeah. me how I am? <laughs> Do you want to ask me? <laughs> Did you read it? But if you haven't already, you should read this chapter just to see how the magic of 
bringing Gilmore Girls back to the screen came to be because it was yeah. a lot of up down all around town. You say magic, but it like truly was yeah. because it was just like absolute chaos because it's so interesting because she balances like her feeling of going back, like what it's like, because she tried to like make all of these like analogies to how it would be to return to something like this and none of them were accurate, but also explaining like the actual like process of getting a show on like this. Mm-hmm. And it was like next to no preparation. Yeah. Like it was like this like popped up and they were like we're doing it now yeah like she wasn't even signed to do this yes when they announced it yes and i'm like that's bold like you're you're gonna announce like i like that was the most shocking part of this for me bold they didn't attach anybody before they announced just amy (laughs) yeah okay like amy is one thing but like if you're not even going to attach lauren graham what are you doing? And like, I think she had been a part of the discussion. Of course, she was part of like all of these conversations, however, wasn't officially asked to be a yeah, part of it. She, and she was filming something else at the time. Yeah, she was filming middle school in Atlanta. But yeah, she had like two weeks between projects to get there. Yeah. And they had 70 days to do it. And if they didn't do it in this time slot, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And like, that's why a lot of the characters like weren't even like no one was attached to it. Like Sean Gunn posted like a picture of himself next to the announcement. Like what? Yeah. Like everyone was like um, kind of beside themselves. And it like was once they started filming that they started adding everyone. Like people hadn't even been hired before it even started. Yeah. But this makes the Melissa McCarthy thing make a lot more sense. Yes. Because definitely. I was always very confused by that. I was like, Wait, she's not a part of it. And then she go. She went on Ellen, I think, and said, I was never asked to be a part of this. And yeah. I think a lot of that was because, like, there were so many moving parts to this that I think Amy was a literal octopus, like, having to just grab onto anything that she could and, like, like keep every single piece moving as swiftly yeah. as it could because they could only film between the months of February and, what, May of 2016 because they had to recreate Stars Hollow. Yeah, and they were they couldn't do it otherwise. Like they had to rebuild a gazebo. Um, they had to. There's so much stuff that happened because that was was it Rosewood at the time. I believe so. Pretty little, pretty liars. little Liars. Yeah, yeah. Pretty Little Liars. I don't remember what year it ended, but it. I don't even know if it had ended at this point because it started in 2010. Remember. So I think that they were still going in 2016. Yeah, because Lorelai's house was Spencer's house. Yes. And- but they had to completely rebuild the interior of it they had to completely replicate it replicate it and it's funny she like kind of jokes around being like you mean you didn't keep everything from gilmore girls or luke's diner or stars hollow this show that you know ended x amount of years ago when netflix (laughs) wasn't even really a thing or it hadn't done streaming yet um they had to completely rebuild the gazebo Mm -hmm. because the gazebo was no longer there that's insane to me and she said Everything was just a little off, just a little yeah. bit off. And I think one of my favorite things that she talked about was um, that she knew this like her house. Yeah. It was like, it'd be like going into your own home and seeing things like the foyer was the same, but it was like slightly bigger. And uh, like things were just moved around a little bit that like you and Lorelai's kitchen was completely redone mm-hmm. um, that she Which made noticed sense. it. It made sense. And the yeah. thing is, is that going back to Amy doing this eight years later, It left room for the possibility of Lorelai's house changing, you know, in its furniture, in the way the kitchen was redone, because like in eight years, of course, your house is going to change a little bit. So, yeah, they were lucky in that regard because they weren't trying to pick up exactly where they left off 
and yeah. they could they had a little bit of wiggle room, but they had yeah. to completely rebuild the set. And to think that all of that took place over the course of like what three ish months, a little less than, and that they rebuilt wow. all this stuff, filmed all this stuff with the people and the cast that they had, and what they managed to get insane. So crazy. And like, I just love the way that she talks about it. It's like she knew it like it was her house mm-hmm. um, and how she teared up and like it was so hard for her to get through a line that she says to a stranger, which is, my name is Laura Lake Gilmore and I'm from a little town in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And like, like reading, even just reading that now, I like want to throw up. Like yeah. it's so, it just kills me. I know. Um, But I just love how she like, like wanting to incorporate all of her friends as we get into it. But the best part was um when they go on um the Gilmore House stage for the first time mm. and uh Kelly like there was like a missing person like that Ed not being there he was like such a big presence and Kelly Bishop says Ed we know you're here we miss you and I'm just like <laughs> done stop I I can't I can't deal with that like it, it, like I can't imagine the whole time. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was one of the parts that I highlighted. Was for starters, I was very, very emotional the whole time. I don't usually cry easily, but throughout the days and months of filming, I welled up a lot, which is indicative of, like, in the very first scene, which is not the first scene that they shot, where she says, yeah. "I missed you, kid." Like that was like days into them <laughs> shooting, and she's just like, "Me, we're yeah. all crying." Yeah, and that's when she talks about how. Um, I've told the story before about how Alexis was so green when we first started our walk and talks. So lengthy and complex that I'd sometimes put my arm through hers to help guide her to our mark. But the first day that we returned to Lorelai's house, it was me who reached for her arm for support. I was so overwhelmed that I felt a little shaky. Like. Like full circle. (laughs) I know. I love it. Beautiful. But my favorite thing about this that I almost wanted her to explain a little bit more was she had like a diary. And that she mm-hmm. decided to start keeping a daily diary of what was going on to remember everything. And the way that she wrote it was like she was writing it for the book. Yeah. And I really wish that she kind of would have explained if this was like a edited version or if she wrote it like this. Because this is kind of, um, I don't know, it's just a very interesting way to keep a diary. Like you're planning to, oh, well... I guess I answer my own question because she probably was planning to include it because she was writing this book while she was. She was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that probably makes sense. Okay. No, that but I wonder, I wonder if these are genuinely like her unfiltered thoughts or if she like kind of pared down on them for the book. Yeah. And I wondered if there was a room to have unfiltered thoughts when she knew that she was probably going to include diary entries into the book or if she kept a diary for herself mm. and then pared down and include it in the book Mm. um maybe we didn't need that much explanation but i was just curious and wanted to know yeah before we get there i marvel at the fact that she picked out the first outfit that we see lorelei in that she picked out that blouse on a whim yeah the first entry is about um that first scene that we see which is not the first scene oh that is the first entry yeah on february 2nd (laughs) Near, it's near to where we are right now. Yeah. She picks some, out. For some reason, Tara and I love that. I know. When something happened in the past near the date near, that we're at. Near us, I know. Um, <laughs> we do that on Patreon all the time when like the episode aired. Yeah. Um, But kills us. It's been about seven years since that happened. Well, it's been eight years. Oh, yeah. Since that day. Yeah. It's been about eight years, which is so crazy because that's the same distance of time from when they 
uh, ended. Ooh, Gilmore Girls, the original, ended the uh, revival, right? Eh, nine years. No, that was nine, but it's about the same. Yeah, but when they were filming it, yeah, crazy, interesting, so crazy. Anyway, the story that she that Lauren tells about picking out her first, uh, you know, the first look that you're going to see Lorelai in in the revival, she grabs this shirt like. And it, it just happens to be blue. And she's like, perfect. This works. Yeah. That's what I underlined. She said, when in doubt, blue. <laughs> Which is so her. Such yeah. a her color. She looks beautiful in blue. But her dresser, who had to cut the tags off of it when she finally got to set, brought the tag to her and was like, look at this. And the shirt is literally called Lorelei 2. Lorelei 2. Yeah. And she just was like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. Because like, it felt like a sign. What a sign. Oh, yeah. my God. What a sign. Yeah. She said, I tape it on the wall over the sink in my trailer to remind every day that strange and wonderful magic might be in store. And like, oh, I just get chills. It's I get so, chilly. Yeah. More Speaking of too. being chilly, when they were filming winter, there was like a storm coming in. Yeah, so it was El like Nino. cold. Yeah. And it was, a, it was chilly in L.A. And I was like, oh, magical. Yeah, um, but I do want to mention that she said one of her favorite people to see was George Bell, who's mm, the dialect coach, I who I really, really want to talk to. I know I do too. I wonder if we can have him on. He'd be a lot of fun yeah, to talk to. I think so too. One of my favorite things that she talks about is that Obama was on Ellen yeah, when they were doing this, yeah. and that like they were worried about the phone jamming, and uh, that does happen. It does. We were, when I was at the um, working at the public theater, he was coming by because he had a dinner nearby. And um, we just, like, watched his car go by, and three of our phones turned off. <gasps> they, like, straight up turned off. And we were, like, we were trying to be, like, no, that didn't actually happen. Like, that, like we because we were all just standing there, and they, our, all of our phones turned off. And we were, like, they can't do that. No, no, no. That just something miraculously just happened, and we turned them back <gasps> on. And we were, like, uh, that's not real. Like, we were, we were like, this didn't actually happen. This oh, is my not real. God. This doesn't occur. Um, that's but, crazy. Yeah. So, like, we're still, like, skeptical and in doubt. We were like, this was a coincidence. <laughs> that is but crazy. There were, like, there were, like, snipers on the roofs because um, there was one, like, across from us. And I, like, waved at him. And he waved back. And she was like, he has, like, a telescope. Like, he can see you. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to shoot me. That is crazy. Like, no, he waved back. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Yeah. Oh, it my was, God. It was crazy. But that always rem- when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I had an Obama nearby moment. <laughs> wow. I love that that's the way you connect with this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of my favorite entries is Wednesday, February 24th. Uh, she starts it out by saying, right around now, I realize that I don't know and have never known what the last four words of the show are. That's wild. When I told Amy this at work, she tilts her head and looks at me like she thinks I'm kidding. I never told you what they were, she says. Wow, she can't believe it. Well, would you like to know them now? Or do you want to wait until the day we have to film them? I think I would have waited. I would have wanted to know, but I think I would have waited. See, if I would have guessed for you, I would have said the reverse, that you would have wanted to wait. Oh, I'm an impatient little, little lady. I probably would have said, <laughs> ah, tell me tell me when we film. And then the whole rest of the time, I would have been and so then the more like, more about it and like, tell like- me. <laughs> You're like, I've been up all night, just tell me. <laughs> but her reaction to them, the thing is, is like, what I love about this book is that Lauren is the, like, all of our internal thoughts. When she hears mm-hmm. the last four words, she's like, what? Really? She literally says, isn't that more of a cliffhanger? Yeah. I ask Amy, but Amy doesn't answer me. She just smiles. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah. That's what she loves but, to give when there's more to come. And that's the thing is like um, one of the things that I've talked about before on the pod is that like it's hard that whenever Lauren Graham does anything, like when she wrote her book, like when she's doing press for anything else, they're like, are we going to get more Gilmore Girls? And like part of me is like, oh, ask her more. Like there was the ask her more campaign when everyone was like asking about her dress. And it kind of feels like the same thing of like ask her more. But she set herself up. Mm. This book set herself up to like be asked about this for the rest of her life. Fully. Because it's like, hmm, because she like goes on in like almost every entry to be like, does anyone else think it's weird like that there's a cliffhanger? That like this, that it's kind of like open ended. She talks like, about this so much, so yeah. much that she like constantly keeps saying to people like, isn't it weird? Don't you think it's weird that it's a cliffhanger? Isn't it a bit of a cliffhanger? It's not really an ending. It's a cliffhanger. And they're all like, eh, yeah. Yeah. And she's like, no, on no. March thir- <laughs> on March 3rd, she says, no one seems as bothered by this as I do. Yes. Because <laughs> oh, I gosh. love Scott and I have a big scene during a break. I ask him if he's noticed that the ending is really more of a cliffhanger. He sort of shrugs. <laughs> and no one's bothered by it. And I just I would love be the same as her. I'd be like, what the hell? What yeah. the hell? She even talks about it with David Sutcliffe. And um, I asked him if he notices it's almost a cliffhanger. And she's like, I mean, right? Right? <laughs> I feel like she's and trying to she's... get everybody else on board being like, are we are we doing more? Is it happening? We're doing yeah. more. This is a cliffhanger. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Before that, in her entry on February 29th, she talks about reading Fall for the first time, which no. I mean... <laughs> I know. She says, I couldn't read it for the longest time. It just so happened that we weren't filming any scenes from it within the first few weeks, which was fascinating to me that they kept jumping around. They kept jumping mm-hmm. around. She would talk about things that got shot like long before things that were in winter got shot. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Crazy. I mean, I, I shouldn't be surprised by that. But anyway, Amy kept yeah. asking if I'd read it yet. And I just giggled nervously. I'm not sure what was stopping me. Maybe fear of it all being over or fear that I'd be disappointed in how the show ended after all this time. But the day I finally sat down in my kitchen to read it is one I'll never forget. I cried from start to finish. And so did we. <laughs> why did it? Why does it feel so emotional that she read it in her kitchen? Like because it's something I can about see that. her reading it in like her Lorelai kitchen. In her Lorelai kitchen at the table. And like, maybe where- because of the line that she delivers to Rory where she's like, drop the the. Just Gilmore Just Girls. Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something really special about it. Here's the thing. The part that destroyed me in this, in this, uh, I know what you're about to say. You know exactly yeah. what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. The part that destroyed me was on Thursday, March 17th. Everybody loves an Irish girl, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Ed scene. Oh, the Ed scene is also just Yeah, when special. she says, Kelly asks Ed to somehow make his present known today by doing something big and loud. Later during the scene, a key light goes out for no reason. Thanks, Ed, she says. Tears. Tears. <laughs> Genuine tears. Yeah. But speaking of tears, on March 17th. St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Um, they're all filming their last scene of the musical. Uh, so it's Carol King's last day. Oh, the musical. I know. And she starts playing. She's like, anybody want to hear a song? She plays I Feel the Earth Move, which was in the revival. Yeah. <laughs> but then when she was done, she said one more. And then she started to play You've Got a Friend. No. I can't read this whole thing. I'll start to cry. Um, <laughs> and just as Carol gets to the part of the song, I sort of forgot was coming, even though I'd heard it a million times. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you've got to do is call. I'm gone. Destroyed. A sniffling mess. Later, as everyone was filing out, Amy and Dan find me and tell me that what's funny is that Carol doesn't even know that the episodes are named after her song or that they're in that very order because of it. They haven't even asked her yet if they can use the song somewhere in the show, although they want to. It's just 
the song that she chose to play. Another incredible coincidence. I did a TikTok about this last year where I had this epiphany about winter, spring, summer, fall. All you have to do is call my name and I'll be there on the next train. Yeah. The the like bridging of of the gap between those two songs, which are both written by Carol King. And I was like, is that the reason why winter, spring, summer, fall are, is the order that yeah, they Yeah, and did. you hadn't read this part yet. I hadn't read this part yet. And someone commented on this and they were like, yeah, they talk about this in the book. But so many people commented and were like, well, winter, spring, summer, and fall are the seasons in order. And I'm like, yeah, but... Yeah, but no. I always think of the seasons in the order spring, summer, fall, winter. I always have mm. because spring starts in the, like... It's the first it's season the, to start in the year. Yes. Whereas winter starts at the end of the year. Yeah. So that's how I've always thought of it, that that's the order that the seasons go in. And I was like, oh, well, this must be why Amy chose to do this. And it is. See, I think of it as starting with fall because of school for some reason. Sure. Fall, winter, spring, summer. Like summer's yeah. the end of the year. No, I could totally I could totally see that, too. But to get that confirmation here and also that that moment they all share together, because when Carol started playing it, And Lauren says she looked over at Amy and Amy is just like a mess. Yeah. Same. (laughs) Personally, same. (laughs) It was just that that was just my favorite moment. Yeah. We keep saying our favorite part, but it's it's all of it's the favorite. All of it's the favorite. (laughs) But but that was really. But I love on March 21st. I love on March 21st when she says, is Lorelai drinking enough coffee? Yes. Personally, I practice practically made of the stuff at this point, but I make a mental note to sh- ensure she is too, which just felt like it made me laugh because that's what we do on Patreon is we do our coffee count yeah. every episode yeah. so to see how much coffee they're drinking to see if it really is the most like coffee focused show. Um, and we're finding out that season four is not. There's yeah, it's zero. not. We've had yeah. not a lot of coffee consumed, but a lot of yeah. coffee talked about. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that she has become the woman made of coffee because that is exactly what she inspired in all of us. And it feels like the same as like, what did Gilmore Girls offer for our lives that we built upon and what did we show up? And then it just intensified for us, which I feel like is maybe a little bit the same for her Mm -hmm. of like, who was she before Lorelai? And what is like, did Lorelai become because of her? Or who did she become because of Lorelai and what did Lorelai become because of her? Yeah, I think like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like she built so many parts of Lorelai Gilmore. And that's why we always say like, oh, Lauren and Lorelai feel like the same person. They they kind of are. Um, Maybe they wouldn't make the same choices as each other. But the entire character of Lorelai Gilmore was built on the foundation of everything Lauren Graham is. Yeah. And like there's a lot of things that she says in this book that – not her direct quotes from Gilmore Girls that Lorelai said, but it's like almost, it's like very similar ways of talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that makes sense mm-hmm. that maybe Amy would write to Lauren's voice a little bit and that Lauren's voice after being so intensely, I think both of them are true. Like yeah. I think that, oh, like having those like long grueling days that they talk about where she has to like get word perfect and they do scenes 30 times. I feel like naturally it's that same thing of like, when you're with someone for a really long time, you start to talk like them mm-hmm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like we have like swapped phrases back and forth mm-hmm. um, that like some of our besties have adopted some of our phrases. I feel like that's the same thing. Like you start to talk like them. And so I think maybe that came a little bit because she spent so much time as Lorelai. Yeah. Like a huge chunk of her life. Yeah. That her friend Lorelai changed the way that she was a little bit. <laughs> Which I love. I think that's yeah. so special. Yeah. 
And I also love that she included so many of her friends. Like any time a friend would come to set, she's like, you're in the show. Yeah. Like I didn't realize Sarah Ramos was in the background of something. I had no idea. I had no yeah. idea. Um, and she goes on to talk about the people on set who she was really excited to have there. That Peter was there. He plays the park ranger, of course. Yeah. And, and Mark Ritter. <laughs> yes. And then when Melissa comes back and how oh, important that was. Yes. Can you imagine if she hadn't been there? I can't. I truly can. I remember the pure joy I felt upon finding out that Melissa McCarthy was going to be in Gilmore Girls because I was so heartbroken that it was reported she wasn't going to. I was heartbroken, like heartsick. No, the same. Because like in the part that she talks about here is that I can't tell you what a joy it was to be back in the kitchen as Lorelai with my best friend Suki. And that is like such a like instrumental part of original Gilmore Girls. Oh my God. That like, yeah, like when she wasn't going to be there, I was like, how? Different vibe. Very different vibe. Loved how much she talked about like her relationship with Michelle changing. Mm. um, That that was like really important. Um, but like not having Suki. Mm, totally. Yeah. Cause I love that she said after work, Melissa and is it Yannick? Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Melissa and Yannick and I go out for a drink. We talk for hours and I could have stayed for hours more, but I have to try to get some sleep. Tomorrow's our last day and it's going to be a long one. Like I love that like the before the last day, it was like the three of them like reunited. Mm. Like something about that. I was like, <laughs> I know <laughs> my pals. Yeah. Fully. But like, yeah, the Melissa part of it was disappointing i think was like really hard but like seeing how like little proper preparation they had before this that they hadn't even signed lauren <laughs> when they announced it i kind of understand i get it now yeah i understand that there was so much going on um she and goes on wednesday may 11th because it was the last day yeah like i was like oh sad celebrate it yeah definitely um and she talks about her last day on set. The last shot that they had was a very interesting one, one I wasn't expecting. Me neither. Like, and I think that that's the thing is like for us, it feels like it needs to be incredibly sentimental. Like we need to start with the first one and the last one needs to be something that's moving. Mm. But it's like when it comes to the schedule of filming, it's like we don't have time to include your sentimental nostalgia yeah. into what we're doing here. We we're just going to do, do what works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're just going to do what works. And what worked was the scene when they're in New York City and talking about Rory sleeping with the Wookiee. And then the real last scene that was shot was this kind of pickup shot that they needed for the wedding. Yeah, with no dialogue. No dialogue. Crazy. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. This show. I do like what she says when like they do the New York scene. She says, I'm going to miss Alexis so much as well as the special connection we share. Yeah. Um, but when they do the last like tunnel shot is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so strange that Gilmore Girls ends with no dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very poetic. It ends with reflecting light, which like. Which is, me, but, like- <laughs> I mean, so talk about poetic. Yeah. yeah. But I love the way that she ends this book talking about the blue coat and how the blue coat goes missing. But what she says here is, of course, for sentimental reasons, I prefer to have it. But I think of the 70 incredible days of this shoot, all of the people I'm so thankful for, all of the love that went into making this show. 
I think of Emily and her Marie Kondo scenes, giving things away because she's learning a new way of being thankful for the past, realizing it's just as important to welcome and embrace the future. And while her scene is about choosing to give things away rather than losing them or having them taken, in the spirit of what the book suggests, I decided that rather than mourn the loss of my jacket, I will be thankful for the time we had together. I thank it for hiding itself in the back of my closet with only a dried up sugar packet to keep it company all those years. I thank it for standing by, for somehow letting me know I was going to need it again. I thank it for getting me through all 70 days of winter, spring, summer, and fall. I thank it for all it did for me, and then I let it go. Oh. Which is so poetic. Yeah. In, in a way that she w- did not anticipate. She had so much magic thrown at her, all culminating to this moment and this book that she's writing and all of the really special moments that she got to share working on Gilmore Girls' Year in the Life. Yeah. I do love that she includes like this. This is my agent. If you guys want to send it back, no questions asked. Um, I did too someone, because like, who took it? Shame someone on out you. there has it. How dare you? Who took it? Yeah, unless it accidentally got shoved in like a box somewhere. Yeah, I'm convinced someone has it. Mm, you are. I want to yeah. hear that story one day. I know, um, but it ends with. But seriously, don't you think that ending was really more of a cliffhanger? Hmm. hmm. Dot dot dot. And, like, if you have, like, the newest edition, it has, like, a bonus chapter where she kind of corrects some things. Oh, really? Um, talks about the cover. Yeah. Because, um, like, she got someone's name wrong. And um, she talks about what the cover was like. She also talks about Cupgate, where that photo of her in winter where she's holding the bottom of the coffee cup. Mm. And she talks about, like, why she thinks that is. But there was definitely coffee in it. She always did that because of um, an interview that Helen Hunt had mm. where she talks about if she's making eggs, she wants to really be making eggs. Yeah. And... It just kind of like expands on some of the things that happened since the book came out. But I like that it ends with hmm, dot, 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 because it makes you feel like there's going to be more. And like, that's the thing that like you and I have, you and I are very similar in this regard where if something is going to happen versus something not going to happen, we just want to know that it's not going to happen. Like we just want the confirmation that like this is not the thing that's going to happen open-ended for us like especially like business things just like don't work for us and I think that that's the same with the Gilmore Girls revival and like I know the best thing is like uh never say never Mm. quote Justin Bieber um (laughs) is that like like you want to leave it open-ended especially if you're creative you don't ever want to turn that off you don't ever want to like dismiss the possibility but like I want to I just want them to say no, we're not gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I would that love ending to return there. Left, oh my god, me too. But I just don't know that any more story needs to be told. Yeah. Would I would I watch it? Yes. Do I think so? No, but like I just want them to say, Yeah, this isn't in the cards. Yeah. We're not gonna do Lorelai in a nursing home, like Sars Hollow nursing home or whatever it was totally. that her dad liked to take pictures in front of. But um Yeah. That always, like, gets – it's, like, the dot, dot, dot. I'm, like, just end it on a period. (laughs) That's it. But I kind of love – I love the teasing of more magic to come. And this was a really – got magic to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kids just coming through the aisles. Yeah. But I really – I really loved this book. I cried a lot. Um, Yeah. I'm glad I finally got to read the whole thing. I still haven't read Have I Told You This Already. Really? I think you'd like it. That one's a lot less Gilmore Girls. That one's the one where in the introduction she said she had more to say. I know. That, um, that which really like, killed me. Knife to the chest. Like, like how, how dare she, like, put those three words together in the midst of us doing this. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I I think I prefer this one because it's um it's more Gilmore-focused, of course. Yeah. There's a lot less in that it's one. It's more be. about life sense. Um, 
but I do really enjoy it. I like her voice. Um, I like listening to her talk. I think that this book is best in audiobook form just because of the way she reads things. Like you said, if we put a transcript of our podcast, it would just be completely like different vibe than it is to like hear it in its like original intention Mm, um mm -hmm. so like that's kind of why i prefer that but again i still love it i think it's great for non-gilmore girls like fans like who just want to read about an actor if you're interested maybe if you liked lauren graham and parenthood she says nothing but fantastic things about parenthood yeah Um, so i think that um anyone would appreciate it i might want to skim past the gilmore girls chapters which... i guess if you're not interested in that sure but yeah, but the rest of it <laughs> really really it's just so good it's such a great book yeah and i learned a lot and i love dissecting it with you yeah it was a lot of me fun. too i think the best part of the book is how many times she said i was drunk with power exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> gorgeous she said that so many times that yeah. was like her phrase yeah. her catchphrase in this book um but yeah i'm glad you got to have a little um gilmore to read book club moment with us i am too and that brings us to a close on gilmore to say season two. Oh my gosh fun we kind of called this like the bridge the bridge yeah because we did a wrapped episode last week but yeah. next week will be the first episode of gilmore to say season three can you believe that season three three is my lucky number I so know. i just feel like this season is just gonna be so good chef's kiss no idea what's in store that's absolutely a lie <laughs> if anyone knows what's in store this season it is me and you that is true <laughs> i will <laughs> I say at this that. point we don't know what we're doing for our first episode like we don't know what next week's episode is gonna be yeah so yeah as of as of this moment we don't season three Haven't is talked about it up yet. in the air um hopefully by the time this episode airs we will have an idea of what season three is we have be. to <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, the premiere, at least. Yeah, but, um, but we like to keep everybody on their toes. Yeah, I'm really excited for all of the the plans that we have for the next couple of episodes and for this year in general. And we're already talking about fall. Yeah, we already are it? talking about fall, which is really like, exciting. It's our favorite season yeah. here on the pod and here in our bestie community. So we're already gearing up for you guys because we yeah. are gonna we're gonna have a great time this fall. But before that, we're going to get to next week, and we'll have more to say on that in the next episode. Mm-hmm.